You know, nah, mate, what you got there is a fake bolt round. Welcome to episode 26 of the Narrative Wargamer podcast, a non-competitive 40k podcast with a focus on fun and narrative gameplay, as well as our hobby news and our latest hobby projects. I am Tony Rhodes, and tonight I'm joined by Dave Barker. Hello. Hello, Tony. Hello, listeners. And Dan Wellington. Hello. As always, before we get started, you can find us at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook, or you can follow us on Twitter at Narrative40k and on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer. You can also contact us via email at narrativewargamer at gmail.com if you have any questions or if you would like to join us on a future episode. If you want to support the show and help us grow, you can do so by joining our Patreon from only $2 a month. As a supporter, you can listen to our bonus episodes on Patreon, including Casual Conversations, our brand new mini-series, and gain access to our patrons-only group chat. The support from our patrons helps us produce the show and towards awesome new content for you guys in the future. Finally, if you want to support the show for free, you can do by visiting the awesome folks over at Element Games for all your hobby supplies and gaming merchers. Just use our affiliate link below to visit their web store, and that way any purchases you make will directly help support the podcast. Links for everything are in the description below, so please check them out and get involved with the growing community. Ooh, so Dave, welcome back. Thank you. I believe uh, you took a break last episode while we went through the somewhat mammoth content that was in the Book of Rust. Uh, yes, I did. <clears throat> I kind of partly jealous and partly uh, relieved that I wasn't participating in such a mammoth episode. But this is um, the content's great. I mean, uh, the Book of Rust is fantastic, and uh, you guys did a great job covering that with Chris. <laughs> yeah, it was great having the guys on for it. It was a really good show with lots of cool content. Um, and hopefully we'll get to do it all again in the near future with yeah. the Book of Fire. We've heard about <laughs> that this week. That's quite exciting, right? Yes. So turns out Bellacor is making his way to 40k, not just the Broken Realms. Um, and he's mm-hmm. bringing with him a Realm of Fire, by the sounds of it. Yeah, no, it sounds really interesting. I think we said before we'd love these... Uh, love these uh, opportunities to play somewhere specific in the galaxy, or at least the kind of general setting that allows us to move forward. I mean, Admech's not really my thing, but it, it doesn't matter. Um, the, the whole just setting is fantastic. And I just have to say that brand new, like, battle system, Sisters of Battle, like Grand Warlord, cannot yeah. remember a name, but the, um, like, the brand new special character war suit, Lady looks amazing. The 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 battle sister Nemesis Dreadnought. <laughs> yeah, the, <laughs> the wannabe custard golden battle suit. I mean, from a law point of view, I think it's really interesting that she's actually one of the high lords of terror. Yep, she's a big deal. Right. Yeah, she's the head of the Adeptus Sororitas, and that that means she's got a seat on the um, high lords, and she's got a model on the tabletop which I just think is really cool to imagine that we've got one of the High Lords of Terror 
They can actually be a playable yep. piece. Is that only the second High Lord of Terror after Gulliman, right? Well, yeah. So, I mean, Gulliman technically isn't even High Lord. He's Imperial Regent. So he he's kind of um, an entity yeah. unto himself. Um, You're right. but, I'm, I'm getting confused that novel series set in the 33rd millennium, which uh, where they called the leader Lord Gulliman, didn't they? What was the old one? The old one with the Prime Orcs. Uh, War of the Beast. War of the Beast series. The Beast Arises or something. The Beast Arises, that's right. Um, that, that series of books covers um, uh, the actions of the High Lords. There's quite a lot of High Lords stuff in, in that series and how they respond to, to the advice of the Prime Orcs. And uh, the, the leader of the High Lords of Terror takes the title Lord Gulliman. Oh, I did not know that. That's interesting. Yeah, well, it's a, that's your, your nerd fact for today. <laughs> <laughs> Learn something every day. But yeah, so yeah, lots of cool new reveals happening this week. That that's literally like everything that we've know so far. I am looking more and more forward to the hopefully B Staggers reveal later this week. Even though we have yep. seen the new um, pain boss. <laughs> so we we've now exactly dated when this was recorded. Yes, well that's fine by me. I don't have a problem with that. So if when you're listening to this, that was like a month ago. <laughs> then uh, Tony's been slacking with the editing. Well, for all they know, I might be busy painting some B-snaggers right now, but I hope it doesn't take that long to get this out. (laughs) Um, So yeah, uh, as for what we will actually be talking about tonight, we've got just a couple of new patrons to shout out. We are going to have a return to the Pit Station Garrison. Then... The spotlight topic for tonight, we're going to be looking at the Plague Purge mission pack. So we do need to sort of get around to finishing off all this narrative content from the first wave of Warzone Charadon <laughs> before Book of Fire gets here and anything else that comes with it. Um, but before that, we're actually going to be doing our latest On Crusade segment where we're going to be taking a look at the Death Watch On Crusade. Now... As part of this ongoing series of On Crusade um, content, we are going to be looking at the various um, factions that we've not got around to yet, including ones such as the Drukari On Crusade, which will be coming soon, hopefully. Um, But what I have done is over in the Facebook group, I've created a, a poll in the announcements where anyone that would like to possibly be involved in a future On Crusade segment for whichever factions they are just, you know, big fans of, really involved with, or just want to just talk about the cool crusade things you can do with these new ninth edition codexes. Just drop a vote on um, any particular faction that you might be interested in, and I will probably be in touch about seeing what options there might be for coming on the show, if that's a thing you'd like to do. So there's currently a list of all the factions we've yet to cover, and there's already a couple of people who've uh, thrown their names into the ring as it were to do some segments so that's really encouraging and i'm looking forward to getting more of our community members on the show yeah cool. and if if you've had your fill of space marines by the time we finish talking about death watch tonight uh, get on there because i think the top most vote right now as i look at it is is for the space marines codex itself which of course we've not done but um <laughs> uh, there's plenty of people with more uh, varied armies that they're interested in so get on there and vote uh, we mm. may, may not do space marines next I mean, we have preemptively got um, Adaptus Mechanicus and Adaptus Sororitas on there. 
and hopefully by the end of the week we might possibly even have Codex Orcs or or whatever it's going to be. I think there's a lot of us that are quite... Maybe we'll have to have like a mass uh, crew on talking about Orcs because there's quite a lot of us that are excited about Orcs. (laughs) I think there's quite a few people clamoring for Mechanicum, to be honest. Yeah. Yep. So we'll, uh, we'll see. But yeah, it'd be great to get some of our listeners on to talk about their favourite factions and how they perform on Crusade. Um, so yeah, to that end, um, Dave is going to be taking us through his Death Watch on Crusade later in the show. Yeah, and I think anybody who's been on the Facebook group sees that I regularly contribute to my own small growing Death Watch army, which maybe I should stop calling small these days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't think any collection you have can pretty much be classified as small. Well, brand new ones sometimes. <laughs> that is a um, an interesting feature of the Facebook group, the uh, the periodic name that chapter feature. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, I, I really enjoy uh, painting. I mean, that's what we'll get onto it later. One of the things I really like about Death Watch is that opportunity to paint different symbols on different shoulder pads. I, I do... It's a challenge, but I do enjoy a bit of freehand, but I also enjoy using the, the shaped shoulder pads too. And just representing that that huge variety of Space Marine chapters that's out there in the Imperium, um, in, in Microcosm on the tabletop, and most especially when I put one or more of my, my own chapters into there, or even better, my friend's Space Marine chapters yeah. are really fun to represent. There's some, some deep cuts in there, isn't there, as well? Yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially if you're getting the, um, some Storm Wardens. They're especially deep cuts. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't painted a Storm Warden yet. Maybe I should. Yeah, it's funny nice. that so the Storm Wardens were the Fantasy Flight created yeah. chapter explicitly for the Death Watch RPG. I say explicitly yep. for. It's, it's not that they were exclusive to that, but that's where they were first came into being within the yep. laws. They were created for that. And part of their sort of lineage as a chapter is that they send a high number of recruits to the Death Watch and they often take on like senior and leadership roles in the Death Watch. Like they have a lot of candidates who go there before they even arrive intending to take the long vigil sort of thing. Yeah. So yeah, there's quite often Storm Warden like squad sergeants for kill teams and such. Which I think is a cool tidbit. Funnily enough as well, um, for reasons that will become apparent shortly, I was also reading up on some Lamenters um, law recently. <laughs> and um, I think it's quite funny how part of their whole deal is they're just always really unlucky or unfortunate things befall them. And there was a little snippet about a... Um, I think it was sort of like a, a battle fleet of Lamenters that had been so horribly ravaged by a conflict, I think with Chaos, um, that basically there was... They were down to like one understrengthed squad of surviving marines, so like eight of them or whatever. They were basically stranded on this um, asteroid where their ship had been wrecked. And um, I, I love there was a, a description about how a local watch captain at one of the nearby Death Watch posts saw that these lamenters were stranded, and basically their functional ability to to um, perform as a company had been made redundant, so they were not going to be uh, a fighting force uh, in themselves anymore, so he just decided to go pick them all up and um, induct them all into a single squad, into a single kill team <laughs> in the Death Watch. Yeah, nice. So, 
it's kind of funny how yeah the idea of having the mixed chapter members of in kill teams but actually there's this one like eight man kill team somewhere that's just eight lamenters yeah <laughs> oh that's awesome and uh, yeah i like those specialist chapters like you're saying about the stone ones one i was recently reading about was um, the steel confessors uh, which was a chapter created for a big games day um, quite a long time ago um, that I've only recently Ooh. learned about. I wasn't present in that game today, but I'm, I'm pretty certain I'm going to have to put a steel confessor into my next uh, batch of uh, nice. space marines. So they're worth reading up about if you've never heard of them before. So yeah, um, if you enjoy listening to us go on and on about various little tidbits and exciting things that happen to us in the hobby every week on week, then you should uh, consider becoming one of our patrons, just like our brand new two patrons we have to shout out on this episode. So oh, I see what you did there. Yeah. Now, for nice. those of you that do remember from last episode, there is one person in particular who is due a shout out, <laughs> and that is <laughs> Mr. Duffy Pop, aka Chris Wildman himself. <laughs> so thank you, Chris. Thank you for, I believe, subbing to the patron mid recording last episode <laughs> and i decided that the small print did define that you would get a shout out in the next episode not the one on air at the time uh, so thank you chris thank you chris but then chris was not our only brand new patron we've also had mr douglas mission sign up as well oh, so the legend yeah, anytime he's not busy posting more stuff in our Facebook group, he can now go listen to our casual conversations over on the Patreon. So thank you very much, Douglas. Keep up the great work. I believe even since then you've done some objective markers, a missile silo, a whole yeah. lot of other things. <laughs> um, just ready for your sort of pretty much fortified replacement Kadia at this point. So yes, uh, thank you guys for signing up and becoming patrons. Enjoy the bonus content, and um, we've already been chatting in the Facebook group, so uh, in the um, the Facebook chat for the patrons. So um, yeah, hopefully there'll be another casual conversations on the way sometime soon, and who knows what we'll be on about then? Probably just talking about various things that have come out in this week of releases, I imagine. Yeah. Cool. Depends on if uh, if the beast snaggers are right or not. I hope so. I dearly hope so. <laughs> we can talk about plastic computer guardsmen until they do get announced. <laughs> so, I, I think we will move on then to our pin station garrison. So, we will be back in a moment, guys. Paint station garrison. And we're back, guys, once again for the Penn Station Garrison. We missed it last episode, but honestly, we just could not squeeze it in. As I'm sure some <laughs> of you are glad that that three-hour-plus episode was not pushed too close to four hours. So, yeah, um, since you didn't get a chance to tell us last time, Dan, what have you been up to since... Cool. last checked in with your pit station garrison uh, I mean I mean, I don't know that was a while back but uh, <laughs> most notably I have been uh, building and well just building so far the contests, uh, contents of the Cursed City box uh, which is, is 
know, a, an interesting subject at the moment. <laughs> it's but, funny, uh, obviously, I've been seeing a lot of um, hobby progress and posts and stuff about people that have been working their way through that box set, but yeah. Hopefully, yeah. it's yet to be decided at this point in time if there's going to be more opportunity for people to pick it up or not. But I, I really hope that at the very least the models become available again because I'm expecting they will. I they they why. are excellent. There's so many cool little details. Um, my favorite is one of the zombies has a. Uh, all the zombies have like uh, parts of their coffins on their backs where they were staked to them or whatever. And like gravestones and stuff that they're carrying around. One of them has a crow standing on its on it, the bit on its back, uh, and the crow has an eyeball coming out of its beak. <laughs> and is the zombie missing an something. eyeball? By any chance? Uh, I, I mean, I think so. Yeah. I know. <laughs> it's, um, I know. Supposedly, uh, one of them has like um, a personal trinket on the gravestone, like a necklace, and then a matching yeah. necklace around the zombie's neck. It's like obviously been left by the significant other. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of cool little details. Um, it's yes, it, it's a great kit, uh, and I've I've built them all and I've done um, bases with a little bit of plastic card for some extra tiling and then uh, like sand around the rest of it. So they're waiting the to be sprayed. Is that for a kind Sorry? of like cobble? Is that for like a cobblestone effect? Yeah. So it's it's representing a few bits of cobbles, uh, cobblestones uh, or like flagstones and uh, a bunch of broken up gravel or whatever. Um, the idea being it's an old broken city overrun with undead so <laughs> I can't imagine the, the roads are well maintained. <laughs> no one's paying their taxes for the roads. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that's that's my uh, my kind of one of my personal projects uh, so I've also done some Death Guard I've been working on my um, uh, warband that I believe we spoke about previously They are, I described them as dry Death Guard and uh, yes, you did. Yeah. rusty kind of sandy colour with a lot of sponge work which was a lot of fun uh, recent additions have been the Plague Burst Crawler and the Lord of Contagion both of nice. which have the addition of some little nurglings to add a little bit of extra colour in there. Uh, most notably the infamous sassy nurgling on the base <laughs> of the Lord of Contagion. Uh, so in, in my mind, that's the real warlord. Uh, and there's this big Terminator guy standing behind him. It's like a bodyguard, right? The sassiest Why of not? all I love it. demons. Yeah. yeah, it's so cool. Um, I guess the other thing I've been doing recently is uh, I painted the uh, Catan Shard of the Void Dragon. Ooh, I think uh, that is which I was, to me. I was very pleased with. Uh, it's um, gone up on Instagram and all that. Uh, How was that it's, to put it together? It was actually very easy to put together. Not very, very easy, but it was surprisingly simple. Um, all the bits went together well. There wasn't any... Uh, any of that like you've got to file bits and all that it all kind of once you chopped it off the spirit all kind of well there weren't very many mold lines uh it's um it, it kind of stays in place well it doesn't topple over too much and once it's sat on the base it's very stable it's uh it's an it's a very nice kit oh good 
I've, I've uh, seen lots of people painting yep. it, but I've not actually heard many people comment on the build experience. I, that's probably because it's not a problem. That, I do. I guess that must be the case. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, but yeah, I, I went for a similar two box art scheme. Um, so he's a big shiny man floating around on green lightning. <laughs> Very nice. Well, for myself, um, I mean, since the last episode, I finished off the Tyranid commission I was working on. So they are now back with their owner. They've been reabsorbed into the Hive fleet. <laughs> and uh, he's very pleased with them. Uh, and I personally was quite pleased with the effect I got with the Flying Hive Tyrant in the end. And I had a lot of fun having a photo shoot with them. Because I'm sure a few <laughs> people have seen on my Instagram now. But um, yeah, I set up all my sort of like jungle terrain and had them you know, barging through the undergrowth, um, clashing with some orcs that were somehow miraculously creating a highway through the uh, the jungle <laughs> for themselves. Um, yeah, they were, they were a really um, nice experience to paint. It was first time painting Tyranids, and I had a lot of fun with them. It was just nice to do something that was all like organics and not beaten, rusty, old steel. Um, yeah, Tyranids are a, are a good one to, to paint. It's very different from most other armies. It's not inspired you to do gene stealer infested orcs, uh, Tony. <laughs> nah, nah. If anything, if I was going to do any sort of offshoot orcs, I'd do um, demon orcs based off some of the very old yeah. Demon Hunters Codex artwork, where you had the like universal um, what's the word adversaries to like yeah. demon hunters, yes. which could be variously yeah. demonically possessed living creatures, and they had. I, them. I definitely remember that. Uh, Plague Orc picture. Yes, Plague Orc it's picture. Classic. It's very cool. I could imagine. Was oh, that a soft spot for the uh, Storm Boys of Corn? <laughs> ah, yes, those two. Um, <laughs> so yeah, um, those are all finished up, and uh, they're moved on now. Um, which did give me an opportunity to finally finish that damn looted gun wagon. Ta da! <laughs> I mean. I still really enjoyed it. I, at no point did I actually think it was a slog to get through, but it's just because of various other projects that are pushing down the queue, it's been a while since it started, and now it's done. And uh, yeah, I'm really pleased with it. It's it, it's a big old looted Lehman Russ, so it's all covered in orky armor plates. It's got its blue paint job and uh, a flatbed built on the back for looting. Excellent. Um... So that means I've now been able to move on to my next piece of Orky Ingenuity, which is a Burner Bomber. Wow. So it was actually just yesterday that I started um, painting my like freehand flame trails effect um, on it, which I'm actually quite pleased with how that's come out. To say I've just done like the first section, so I've done one whole wing with this like hot rod sort of like, flames effect on it. Um, I've already posted that up on my Instagram so you can go see that, I was quite pleased but yep. I've gone for this scheme where obviously most of my old vehicles well, all of my old vehicles are blue like that's the base colour I go with and then I sort of put my highlights and effects and patterns on top of that which means I had this idea that when I painted my burner bomber I wanted to do like hot rod flames as if the front of the aircraft's 
bodywork has got a full flame effect on it. I was like, well, I feel like doing blue or yellow, sorry, not blue, doing like red or yellow flames would just look out of place on my army of otherwise like blue and black armor yeah. plates. So I decided, well, if the bodywork's going to be blue, then that means, as per my color scheme, those blacks, uh, those flames are going to be black. Yep. Um, and yeah, I quite like it. So it's a big blue jet, but the front of it's all going to be this sort of trailing black flamed, like hot rod, uh, hot rod flames. Um, nice. And I think it's going to look quite nice. And I already have plans now to get a second burner bomber at some point and do an inverted <laughs> scheme. So that nice. one would actually be a black bodywork with then big blue flames on it. That'll look great when it's uh, crashing into the ground in front of your opponent <laughs> and exploding. <laughs> yeah. With the flying headbutt strategy. I can just imagine the mech boys um, like trying to put some kind of like colouring into the flames so that the actual bombs and the fire that it drops is also blue. I mean, I know obviously that could just be incredibly intense heat flames, but at the same time, yeah. I'm sure I did find some way to make blue napalm. Wouldn't put it past them. <laughs> yeah, lucky blue napalm. Mm. Get some agent blue in there. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a lot of work to go to for a, a model that might will be on the t on the game for on the um, on the battlefield for one movement phase. I don't know. I, st <laughs> I I like posing the threat of having it actually just flying around the table because. All flying headbutt does is guarantee it explodes, like you know yep. when you kind of force it to. But that thing still has a large base, and when it goes up, it goes up on a four plus naturally. Yep. So it's still got a damn good chance of just flying around, going ooh ooh, am I gonna blow up? Are you gonna try and move uh, away from me or not? Well, there's there's my co-pilot in his jet that's doing the same thing, and then my. Uh, Boomdacker Snazwagons are charging into you on the ground, which also explode on a 4+. Plus. I don't know, what's this rolling in behind them? Is that my gun wagons, which also explode on a 4+. Plus? <laughs> I'm sensing a theme. <laughs> uh, I might just have to play them as boom boys. Who knows? Yes. So yes, that's um, that's where I'm at with the Yorkie stuff. I have also got some of my Imperial statues undercoated for my terrain. Um... I got them out the other day when the weather was nice, so I'm hoping I might be able to get some so like pin washing on those and make them a nice weathered effect and they can be added to the pile of completed terrain. Um, and then today I've actually had through the post the very first part of my next piece of commission work, which is some lovely, lovely Lamenters Space Marines. <laughs> <laughs> So I have the joy of looking forward to yellow power armor and black Oof. and white stripes chapter badge. Oof. Or black and white checker chapter badge with a little yeah. three-handed heart. So that's going to be fun. Yeah, I think it's, like, it's the kind of thing that <clears throat> I've not actually done a Lamentor's child about, but once you've done it, once you've got used to doing it, it's not so bad. I did some checks freehand on, on the looter battle wagon recently. and uh, Sorry, not a looter, just a regular battle wagon. And they were easier than I thought once I got into it. Um, well, go on, tell us more about this battle wagon that you painted then. Yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to, <laughs> I didn't mean to crash across your <laughs> paint station, Garrison. It's just the, the checks thing is uh, absolutely. Yeah, so I did. Uh, I, I've always wanted one of the original Oak Trader battle wagons, and I got one off eBay a while ago. And I finally got around to uh, 
to painting it. I posted it up. It's a goth one. I know you don't really approve that I did it in a goth style, but that's what my whole comic's going to start out <laughs> as. And um, it, it, because it came, it came pre-assembled. It got all of the clan badges stuck to it in different places, slightly randomly. So I painted them all properly, and then got a got to go around and put a big red X the wall of the part of the goth one. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, but I've done it in, in kind of a classic um, first second edition style with uh, red wheel trims and a black body, really. And, um, yeah, I'm really pleased it's come out quite nice. Got a bit of detailing on the tools and things that are attached to it, but uh, really pleased with the way it came out. Um, so that's my only orky thing. Uh, I've done some marine things. I did, I, I think I mentioned last time, I'm, I booked in for a tournament in June, uh, just a 12 person tournament for 40K. So a bit more competitive than what I normally do. But I realized I didn't actually have any proper objective markers for my Raven Warriors. So I freehand uh, six, objective markers just on, on 40 mil uh, MDF bases uh, so that I've got something to use and maybe I'll make something a bit better. They're not awesome, but they're okay <laughs> and they'll do for now. Um, so I made some objective markers for the, after about 30 years of having the Warriors Army, I've actually got some proper objective markers now. <laughs> um, I also did a bit more old hammer. <clears throat> I dug out all 10 old Chaos Androids from the Space Crusade game many years ago. Maybe, maybe that's not to everybody's memory. But they were sort of the prototype <laughs> models for Necrons. Uh, but they weren't Necrons at the time. They were um, Chaos Amboids, uh, demon-hosted robot bodies imbued with demons by Chaos Squats, if I remember correctly. That <laughs> <laughs> lurked around in Space Hulks. <clears throat> um, so nice unit of ten of those. I did. The, the, visually, they were white. They were painted white. So I did them in a steel colour with red weapons. That, that was kind of reminiscent of the old, old uh, second edition style that I quite like. Uh, but I gave them sort of white enamel shoulder pads in uh, recognition of what they used to used to be coloured like. So they were fun. And uh, a squad of Death Watch intercessors. So it's um, uh, relevant to, to what we're talking about now, uh, what we'll be talking about shortly. And I, I got a few more in there of, of things I'd not done before. So even though I've got a Flesh Eater's army, I painted my first Death Watch Flesh Eater amongst those. And a death strike, which are the chapter that's always confused with the Rainbow Warriors, which was fun. Mentor <laughs> Legion. Uh, so I always uh, I started on a Mentor Legion army recently. So I put a Mentor Legion there and a Soul Haunter for uh, for my friend's army. So I copied his color scheme, and uh, I even wrote a small backstory I shared with him of how that Soul Haunter came from his uh, from his army and ended up in my Death Watch, uh, which he was amused by. Um, and uh, and then I've just been doing a bit of other stuff. I've been doing quite a lot of more generic sci-fi outside 40k recently, with with games like um, Stargrave and um, Zero Dark. And, um, I've been playing travel RPG as well online. So I, I painted a whole bunch of generic sci-fi troops and combat suits and mechs, uh, just in a, a dry brush and contrast paint style, which I've come out quite pleased with. Um, and along with them, five old powered armored marines from the Crime game were kind of fun and different but um, quite monopose and old school so got a fair amount done which is good and uh, most of it 40k and then on my table at the moment I'm still working on that barbarian lord I'm not very inspired by him perhaps because he's fantasy and I've been doing sci-fi recently uh, but I've got some more mental legion a, a lieutenant and a, a squad of hell blasters and uh, it's not quite finished not almost but not quite finished my rainbow warrior captain for space hulk and um, I've also got 16 daleks that I'm painting at the moment just because I found them, I thought they need paint. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
so yeah yeah it's been uh, i feel like I've, I've not been painting so much recently but i when i sat down and listed this out uh, for the podcast i thought well maybe i have painted more than i thought <laughs> from yeah, chaos I mean, androids to daleks absolutely i mean there's not much variety there is there <laughs> It's, it sounds like you've got through plenty as always, even if you consider yourself to have had a rather light load this time. Yeah, yeah no, it's fun. I'm enjoying, enjoying doing this painting. So. What can I say? Well, if ever we saw any dialects on the table, I know exactly what to do. It would be to send in the Death Watch. Absolutely. It's uh, definitely a Xenos. So let's uh, purge the Xenos. <laughs> nice. So yeah, we will... Uh, We'll be back in a second, guys. With... After we've got to a new job on Radio 2 for that kind of style of link. <laughs> <laughs> a pro link there. Well, I'm, I've been doing this a little while now. I, I can just about <laughs> put together a transition at some point. Give me long enough and uh, I'll get us there. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, we'll be back in a second, guys, with our latest On Crusade segment. You kids listen up now, and listen good. The boss has got a message for you all. And looks like some of the boys have been joining the war before they got themselves a proper pen job. How are you kids supposed to get any proper crumping done without a lucky blue chopper or dead flashy shooter, eh? The boss is going to be breaking heads if he captures any of you without a proper pen job. So get your ugly hides to the paint boy over at Narrative War Painter. You'll fix you up good and proper, you hear me? Narrative Wah Painter is now open for painting commissions. Specialising in good quality, army-wide standards, you can get a quote today by contacting me at narrativewargamer at gmail.com to discuss any potential hobby projects, and so I can help you conquer your horde of grey plastic. You can also check out examples of my work over on Instagram at narrativewargamer. What did I say? Right, you kids. Get your loot in the truck and zog off to the paintball. It better be redder and faster when you get back. And make sure to tell them Red Tooth sent you. You might get something extra special. So, when we are beset by aliens on all sides, we need to do only one thing, and that is ask Dave to tell us exactly how to deal with them. Yeah, I seem to, I seem to have a reputation as a space marine, an Imperial space marine player, and uh, everybody's aware of what we just said earlier uh, in the recording about, um, uh, I, I, I do like painting Death Watch, so, um, uh, and, you know, as soon as that book was released, I was like, that's on pre-order for me. You know, <laughs> I have to have that one. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I really do look quite like the Death Watch. And, uh, 
if anybody else has got any views and opinions on this uh, after we've talked about it, after they've listened to this podcast, uh, very much like to hear uh, what other people's uh, postings on, on the Facebook group, on the Narrative Wargaming Facebook group about their experience with Death Guard. Um, Death Guard, goodness me, we're going to do that all the time, aren't we? <laughs> Death, <laughs> Death Watch uh, and how they play them, either for or against and, and what they think of the rules. So that'd be really good. But I think one of the first things to pull out around Death Watch is, as we look at the, the, the codex, it's, it's a bit hard. The things we've been reviewing recently have been the um, the play, play, play Purge Pack and the the the, um, the the War Zones and things like that, where we get a very small amount of uh, fluff at the beginning, uh, three, four, five pages at the beginning, and then lots and lots of uh, Crusade rules. Of course, this is a codex supplement, so there's a good 20, 25 pages of... <laughs> Uh, you know, non non rules uh, background in there, which is really fun to go through again. So it's um, nice to nice to be reviewing a codex again. Um, but I'll not focus on that. Everybody really has got a good idea of who the Death Watch are. I think if you're listening to this, um, but the the one of the things about uh, the Death Watch codex is it doesn't have these. Even though it's a ninth edition codex, it doesn't have this specific mechanic that we've seen in in some of the other codices. Um, so um, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so it's not like it's got a mechanic like Hunt the Fallen, like the Dark Angels have, or um, I think it's the like epitaphs or uh, deeds of legend or whatever that the Necrons get. Yeah. So there's more like there's there's nice new like agendas and requisitions and that sort of stuff in here for the Death Watch and Crusade. But yeah. you you say that one of the things that sort of stands out in the Death Watch rules, as it were. Yes, this idea of these kill team specialisms. Yeah, absolutely. So they their special uh, special thing that nobody else has is they they can specialise much more in being targeted at taking out their foe, uh, and that expresses itself in in a couple of different ways. And they, at the moment, we're talking about generic rules, not crusade rules, but they are relevant to how the crusade rules pan out. So. Actually, um, all the way back from the Space Marines Codex, because this is actually a, a codex supplement, of course, uh, the Death Watch chapter tactic is called Xenos Hunters. Okay, mm-hmm. So with that, each time a model with this tactic makes a melee attack against Tyranids, Eldar, Orc, Necrons, or Tau units, you reroll ones. Yep. And after both sides have finished deploying their armies, selects one battlefield roll until at the end of the battle, each time a model with its tactic makes an attack against any unit with that battlefield rolled, it re-rolls wounds of one. So, if you're fighting against Xenos, you hit them more easily by re-rolling ones. And also, if you are, you can choose a, a battlefield roll. So if you, you're fight, fighting against a lot of flyers, or you're fighting against a lot of uh, troops, or you're fighting against a lot of elites, you can choose that and you re-roll wounds against them, wounds of one against them anyway so that's that's the generic chapter tactic but then these kill skill team specializations take them a little bit further and there are six of them um, there there's the special there's a kill team cassius which is the one the, the historic uh, kill team that's come uh, from past times uh, previous versions of this um, so that that one has by default the first of these specializations called the Aquila specialization. What that does is you choose a, a second battlefield roll as well, and you also reroll ones of one there. So uh, a unit that's got a specialism of Aquila can then 
is even better against two different types of, of battlefield lore, which can be handy, of course. Yeah, so they're sort of like super flexible. Really hit aliens yeah. and really hit you if you are <laughs> possibly troops or fast attack, for example. Absolutely. And then, and and really, then the others really take... hate you if you're an alien troop or fast attack. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So in, in some ways, this is the generic specialism, which sounds like <laughs> a kind of an odd thing to say. Right. But... Yeah, yeah, it's a bit of an oxymoron. <laughs> but then, then some of the others actually uh, then give us... Uh, sort of different specialization so there's one called venator uh, which is you know specifically against um fast attack uh, or flyers uh, as a battlefield role so they well, wounds of one um and if you you actually chose fast attack or flyer as the Zenos hunter one um every time you make an attack you can you can reroll the wound wall anyway so you know, right okay so it's that as a chapter tactic for being Death Watch, you can reroll yep. ones to hit against all aliens. Yep. Um, but you also pick a um, a unit type, a battlefield roll. Sorry, yeah, yep. battlefield roll. And your army rerolls ones against a battlefield roll. But exactly. if you are a specialist, you get to reroll wounds of a one against another battlefield roll that they specialize in. And if yeah, it's absolutely. the same. As the army-wide specialization, you get to reroll all the wounds. Absolutely, yeah. So right. if you're trying to go a three on a wound and you roll the two, you'd still get that reroll in this case with that unit. Yeah. Uh, and th- then the others follow the same pattern. So there's another one called Malleus, uh, which is against heavy support, Lords of War, or, or dedicated transports. Why you would choose dedicated transports as <laughs> your thing you wanted mm. to take out, I'm not quite sure, but you've got well, the option. Should you do I so. mean, the Drukari are sporting mm. a lot of dedicated Raiders. transports. <laughs> Raiders, Venoms, so. yeah. Yeah. Tantalus, maybe. I'm not sure if that's dedicated or not. But... Um, yeah. There's yeah. a... Mm. Sorry, go ahead. I was to say, the Raider is a, a touchy subject at the moment, I think. <laughs> that is, well, if, not... if you can touch it. Uh, elsewhere <laughs> on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's easier to take them down if you take the Malleus... Uh... Yeah. Heavy support, uh, well, no, dedicated transport, uh, vengeance against dedicated transports. That, uh, <laughs> Dave's top tips. Yeah, yep. absolutely. That's how you so, do uh, it. How, how these specializations, is it yeah. like an army wide thing or is it so, linked so it's to per characters unit. or something? Yeah. So it's per, per unit. Per unit, okay. Yeah. Um, so the, the overall chapter tactic is obviously uh, army wide. Yeah. So presumably the the specializations you'd have to pick like on your on your roster exactly and um, the army one you pick at the start of the game yeah exactly uh, oh, yeah and and actually they add add power level or points as well so uh, okay there's four of them that add one power level and there's two of them that add two power level which is either twenty five or thirty points um, yeah uh, and and there's, they they also come into play with some of the crusade stuff as well and there's, there's yeah so the crusade was... system. I was just going to ask about this. So these specialisms, they're a bit like the upgrades in the standard Space Marine book, but things like Master they of Science, are. Chief Apothecary, that sort of thing. So they, they are, although we have a bit more in that area as well, so with Death Watch later too. Okay, so just answer me this then. So those sort of like chapter upgrades in yep. the core Space Marine book, if you're playing a match play game or a basically non-Crusade game, you get that upgrade through points. Yes. But if you're playing Crusade, I believe it's the case that you can only access those upgrades via acquisition once a unit has gained enough experience. 
Is that the case with these specialisms? So, no, you can take them as part of your... Um, um, uh, when you're drafting your order of battle, that's right. Um, you, you can take them with the additional, you know, obviously they cost, four of these cost one more power, two of them cost two more power. And if you build right. Them, you can take them up to it. Okay, um, so it is a additional purchase at unit creation in your order of battle. And in this case, it's going to power level because it's crusade. Yeah, uh, so you can do it with points as well. As I said, this 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 specialism thing is a giant rule. And what it's representing is the fact that the, you know, the Death Watch are trained to be dedicated Xenos hunters who are supposed to be uh, trained to work together and you know make the best of the diversity that they they get from having space marines from all these different chapters and really focus into that honed sharp edge of the uh, imperial might against xenos um uh, to the be you know not the best of the best but to be awesome at what they do against uh, aliens right yeah they are the ones that you call in to deal with the xenos taint and if, if you read some of the fiction and stuff around Death Watch, you know, they train and they train and they train again to, um, you know, over and over again to work together to be to be better than the, the, the sum of their parts, right? Yeah. So speaking so, of, so, yeah, the sum of their parts then, how do these specialisms vary in the context of Crusade? Okay. Um, so... Uh, if I just finish with the last three, and then I'll get yeah, into sure. stuff. So there's Dominatus, which is against elites. Uh, there's Furor, which is against, sorry, I've lost it here, troops. And there's Purgatus, which is against HQ. So, um, you know, you can, they're just the different types, right? So, yeah. um, so specifically in terms of, of how they interact with the, the Crusade rules, I think what we probably need to move on to is the um, requisitions. Okay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so there's there's four different requisitions that um, that we can have for a um, a, a Death Watch uh, army. First one, bestowed in honor and necessity. This requisition, uh, when you add a Crusade card to your order of battle, um, you can use this to uh, give the sergeant in the squad a uh, a relic uh, from a very specific list. So the the sergeants in the squad can can, can take relics. It can be a Artificial armor, mastercrafted weapon, digital weapons, bane bolts of Erixia, or the mm-hmm. artificial bolt cache, um, which are or some things we can have a look at later, um, which are all of the specific relics for. I think they're relics for uh, the the uh, they're the general relics for Death Watch. Um, yeah. So I wasn't particularly going to cover those today, um, but th- there's some interesting things in there. The artificial armor is very similar to the uh, the armor in the generic space marine kind, except you don't get the wound. Um, I have to know then. Just tell me, what do the bane bolts do? <laughs> bane bolts of Erixia. You're just trying to get me to say the difficult words again, right? So when you've got that relic, you select one bolt weapon, um, and when that model is chosen, to, is chosen to shoot with it, you can choose for that weapon to fire a bane bolt of Erixia instead. If you do, you can only make one attack with a weapon, but it's a strength of six and AP of minus two and a damage of three. Nice. Yeah, nice. so it's like a super bolt. <laughs> Tasty. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so what other requisitions do we have? So then the one that relates back to what we were just talking about, the kill team specialization. So you can, for one requisition point, you can uh, 
when you get, when your army games are rank and battle hardened or high, you can upgrade the unit with a kill team specialization, the things that we just talked about earlier, and increase the power rating accordingly. Um, so I was just going through this uh, a little bit before uh, before we recorded this segment. There's a bit of confusion about whether um, a individual kill team can have more than one specialization. I think the natural reading is, it, is each team can only have one specialization. I think if you rules lawyer it, you could probably hmm. say they've got two. I wouldn't recommend it <laughs> that way. Uh, and there may be a fact on it, with them, which I'm not familiar with. Uh, but it, it would seem weird to, to try and give them two, to be honest. So is this a way to give a specialization to a unit later through requisition rather than Absolutely. their creation through crusade points? Can that be given to any unit or is it just like the kill teams? So it can be given to a kill team unit. Um, yeah. So within the data sheets, the kill team is a very specific keyword that applies to that troop's choice, which is described as a kill team. Yeah. So not every troop's choices. If we look at Death Watch veterans or we look at... Um, uh, some of the Space Marine uh, things they can draw from the main codex, they don't have Kill Team. Even the Death Watch Terminator squad doesn't have Kill Team. Kill Team is a very specific... Um, yeah, uh, so it's the mixed battlefield role units. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not That's like right. you can give yeah. this to um, Dreadnoughts or characters, That's for example. Right. So there's, there's five types of Kill Teams. There's a classic Kill Team Cassius, which is sort of a, your, your fixed one. Um and then there's a Proteus, Fortius, Indomitor, and Spectrus kill teams, um, and those can be composed of different types of types of yeah. model. Yeah, cool. So you you know you got different styles of space marine that you can build into kill teams. Slightly disappointing, you can't really mix and match those because I think that would be even more characterful. Yeah, watch, but... I think that's a change from eighth to ninth, isn't it? Because in eighth yeah. you had limited Primaris units, so they just had the one Primaris kill team. But now yeah. they've sort of split it out into this is the Grievous armored um, yeah. kill team. This is the Phobos armored kill team. So these kill teams are the real specialist ones, the ones that represent the, the teams that work with the Inquisitors, et etc. But of course, you can take anything at all from the Space Marine Codex as well, because this is a Codex supplement. So um, you can take a normal unit of assault intercessors or um, uh, heavy, um, you know, thunderfire cannons or whatever else yep. you, you want to take out of the the regular codex, but they wouldn't have this kill team specialist keyword. So how then does the requisition, rearm, reform, redeploy play into this? So that's also one requisition point. Um, and what you can do there is you can reconfigure the war gear options and models in a unit. So you can also remove any number of optional models from the unit, um, uh, but you must... Um, for each model you move, you must add a new model to the unit following the usual restrictions. So what that allows you to do is reform kill teams, basically. Um, so if you had a kill team that was heavy on, um, you'd filled it up full of um, uh, intercessors, and you wanted to swap some of those out for, for Hellblasters, um, you would be able to do that. You need to keep the unit size yeah. the same, but you could choose different uh, things. That's choose cool. Different. So... Yeah, yeah, very narratively, it's like it's it's as if they, this they this the same marine. They're just changing their armor and war gear, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But the twilight's gone back off to the the blood angels, and we don't want <laughs> heavy bolt anymore. So we we're going to bring in uh, another guy from a different chapter who's differently equipped. You know. <laughs> so I guess we've we've seen similar requisitions to this in other books where 
you can change the weapon option the unit has. So in some cases, say things like an intercessor squad, it means you could change whether or not the squad is carrying bolt rifles or assault bolt rifles or heavy bolt rifles, which for most armies, that just means changing out the same weapon across everyone to the different same weapon for everyone. But I guess in the case of kill teams in Deathwatch, that's a lot of actual variability you can introduce. By going, I don't need a Hellblaster now. What I need is a heavy bolt rifle. Um, I I don't need... uh, I mean, I'm guessing, can you have assault intercessors in the standard intercessor, like standard primaris kill team? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, So yeah, yeah. so you could do that. Like, I I need a guy with a chainsaw. I haven't currently got one. Let's switch out the assault bolt rifle guy to a chainsaw guy and stuff like that. And it's not one requisition per change. It's one requisition to reconfigure the unit in its entirety as much as you like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And now the, those these these kill teams are a little. They're not quite. You can put any number of things in. Um, they are. They do. There's some guidelines. Basis. Yeah. There's yeah. a basis of, of either veterans or intercessors or heavy intercessors or um, infiltrators, and then you can add the other specializations in there depending on type of kill team it is so it's like one assault intercessor one outrider one hell blaster but you can you can um you can swap those in as needed but that that requisition can also be used to change the weapons on those guys instead of swapping them out completely cool and i believe there's still one more requisition called expiation in vigil Uh, and what this does is takes one of your kill team members um or actually any um any Death Watch core unit, which is more widespread than um, uh, Kill Team, and I think that means you could apply it to, to because they would have both Death Watch and core from some of the troops' choices at the Space Marine Codex, wouldn't they? Because Death mm-hmm. Watch is a chapter uh, keyword. Yep. Um, any any model that is not a Black Shield and doesn't have the word Sergeant uh, can uh, become a Black Shield. So you can basically put Black Shield into or swap out a black shield for, into any unit there, um, change its weapon skill to two plus, add one to its wounds and attacks. And for the purposes of the tournament, we want a stratagem, uh, which is, is one of the things we can talk about in a bit. That model is considered a black shield model. So effectively, you can you can put a black shield into any of your Death Watch core units. That's cool. cool. Yeah, uh, which, is, which is quite a nice option. So then to just sort of round out this concept of the specialisms i believe the death watch have their own space marine honorifics so they do yeah so these are the things which in the standard codex is stuff like master of the fleet master of recruits um, stuff like that and instead it looks like the death watch basically have a master of each of the specialisms that's right, and the, the rule's called Master of the Specialisms, and there are six, Master Venator, Master Malleus, Master Dominus, Master Aquila, Master Furor, Master Pugatus, which match to, to those six specialisms we, we have previously. But of course you don't have, I mean, you do have captains, but they, you don't have company captains. Which are, you know, watch as a, it's a different organisational structure, isn't it? But they're, they're yeah. essentially one of many sort of like chapter fortresses that they have across the entirety of the galaxy yeah absolutely so if we take the generic one master aquila um so when you gain that uh, and it can be applied to a death watch captain uh, uh, or a death watch watch master either of those models yeah. obviously can gain the battle honor uh, and it's a battle honor um 
So, oh, is it? So it's gained by spending your XP that you earn. I believe so. I'm just checking. Yep. Instead of gaining a battle honor, you can choose to gain one of the master specialisms listed here. One of these six battles. Uh, master, right. uh, so you know, in case you could save points by one. You've got to earn it then. Yeah, you've got to earn it. Um, so if we take the generic one, Master Aquila, when it's upgraded, it's upgraded with the Aquila specialism that we talked about earlier automatically. So that's that's good. That comes as sort of free. You don't need to do more than just... Okay, so you do then get that specialism on a character where you would get to re-roll against... Absolutely. In the case of the Aquila, yep. you would get to re-roll against two battlefield rolls. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Uh, but in addition, after each battle, if this model... It's part of your Crusader army. Selects Death Watch one Death Watch core unit from your Crusader army that destroyed an enemy unit during the battle. If that unit's marked with greatness after the battle, uh, it gains four experience points instead of three. Ooh. So that Master of Specialism helps train your other troops. That's cool. That's cool. Yep. So does is that the extra bit? Is that the thing that varies from each of these Master Specialisms? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's the only one that gives you four. The others, the Venator, the Malleus, etc., they give you five instead of three. But what's the condition? Is it a pick a core unit still? Uh, yeah, all Death Watch core units. And the only difference from, from any of that, again, is the Malleus one. Um, it gains plus six experience points if any of those destroyed units had the Lord of War battlefield role. <laughs> right, so it's the uh, so the unit you're picking to mark for greatness, it gains the yep. bonus XP if it killed the thing that's relevant to that specialism. Exactly, exactly. So that's a nice thing that helps you, you know, you, you're focusing down on the specialisms, all your units are, you know, all your kill team units are getting those kind of specialisms and things they focus on. And if you've got a captain or a watchmaster that's that's really good at that, he can train them and give them even extra experience with his top tips and tricks for taking out a bloodthirster or whatever it is he's, he's learned how to. <laughs> Pro I shouldn't say run away. I should say hive tyrant, shouldn't I? Xenos, not Malleus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny where that crossover comes in. But yes, like run away from the hive tyrant. Yep. Cool. Um, so I take it then that's sort of the gist of the uniqueness of Crusade for Death Watch in how all these different specialisms interact with yeah. the units as they gain experience. But Yeah, um, and that, so that, that's, the, that's the unique quirky thing and how it flows through the sort of Crusade rules there. Um, but there's, you know, they've got some of the more, more normal things that you'd expect. So if we go back, we'd normally have looked at these earlier, but looking at agendas, I mean, they've got five unique agendas as well, which are Death Watch specific agendas. Um, so if you want to pull just a couple of those out, we can we can read those. Yes. So um, do you want to just, uh, Dan, would you like to randomize some agendas for us to pick from? I believe we've uh, got five here. Do you want to just say all the names and we'll pick one that sounds sure. interesting so, so the five are uh, secure xenotech watch eternal suffer not the alien strength from diversity and xeno psycho assault uh, i think that has to be xeno psycho assault i, <laughs> I had a feeling it. you'd go for that one <laughs> uh, so um you can only select this agenda if your opponent army includes a turnage psycho an eldar psycho or an old psycho unit um <laughs> Keep a Zeno a psycho assault tally for each unit from your army. Add one to that uh, for each time a unit passes the deny the witch test, uh, originating from one of those units. That's cool. Uh, uh, who is attempting to ancestral psychic power? Add two to the unit Zeno psycho assault tally for each time it destroys uh, to Eldar or Orc psycho. 
and each unit gains a number of experience points equal to its Xeno Psycho Assault tally. So, cool. especially, I guess, if you're facing Eldar, which tend to have more Psychos yeah. in the most. Well, um, Tyranids have a lot as well. Yeah, yeah so absolutely. I, I guess that's nice that you don't have to yourself be a Psyker to do this, because although you might not get the chance to deny them, you could just kill them. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. So if you are denying them, that, that helps. So that helps your any psychers you've got in your Death Watch army. But um, just, you know, don't need to deny the witch. Um, kill the witch is absolutely fine. Yes, that's the easiest way. Yeah. Most permanent way. Yeah. So, so then uh, no, rules there for, um, no rules there for uh, experience for killing those uh, Tau psychers. <laughs> no, no. Uh, unfortunately, those those ever popular and numerous yep. Tau psychers don't actually help you get oh, experience. No, oh. no foreshadowing the Death Watch Codex for uh, keyword Tau psycho units. Absolutely. <laughs> Could you imagine if that had been in there? The sheer speculation that that would. <laughs> What's going to come in the Ninth Edition Tau Codex? Uh, yeah, that would have been superb. Um. So go on then, which uh, agenda stood out to you then? Um, yes. <laughs> I've, I've forgotten it. Uh, what was the second one? Uh, Watch Eternal. That's the one. Watch Eternal. So uh, so with this one, uh, at the end of the battle, if there are no enemy units within six inches of your deployment zone, excluding aircraft, each death what unit from your army gets not destroyed during the battle gains two experience points. So uh, this is really very much about you know defending your ground and pushing back the alien. Um, and if you you keep them away from your deployment zone, you get extra experience. So pretty simple that one. That's cool. I mean that's quite fluffy. I mean the whole point of the Death Watch is that they're on the watch. Yeah. But yes, obviously you know some of the best defenses are good offense and going out and dealing with these alien threats. But really they are there to sort of hold back the tide of alien filth from the Imperium. So that's possibly an often overlooked. I guess like aspect of the Death Watch. Yeah, and the other one I really quite like is Strength from Diversity, which is very similar in its thematic nature, but in this case, you keep a range tally for each unit from your army. Add one every time you destroy an enemy unit with a ranged attack, and keep a melee tally, add one for every time you destroy it with a, a melee attack. Uh, and if a unit has at least one mark on its range tally and at least one mark on its melee tally, it gains two experience points. So if you're an all-rounder and you're expecting to take the to the enemy in that kind of form, you can uh, you can gain experience there as well. That's cool. Do some do some choppy and some dacker, get some XP. Yeah. So nice. it feels a little bit more difficult, but also, especially with those those mixed units, those kill team units. Uh, where you've got that kind of diversity of troops within a single unit. I think that's quite possible to achieve. Nice. So then, do we have some unique battle traits for the Death Watch? Absolutely. So, um, as as with most of the other codices we've looked at, we've got uh, four different tables. Uh, one for oh, librarian units, one for Death Watch units, excluding vehicles, one for captain units, and one for watchmasters. There was part okay. of me then that thought you were going to say there were six tables, one per specialism. Uh, well, you've, <laughs> I mean, as I've said several times, it is also an extension. So you've also got access to the battle traits in the, the Space Marines Codex as well, of course. Yeah. yeah. Of course, so, you've basically got yeah, psychic characters, non-characters, and vehicles, pretty much. Presu- yeah. Presumably, they're not locked out of any of the Space Marine ones then, or... Yeah. Nothing no, no, no. You can take anything from the the Crusade and or your yeah. match play stuff. All of that you inherit from the Space Marines Codex. So, it's, 
so you can certainly have a uh, uh, a Death Watch character turn into a Dreadnought, for instance. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's you can use that uh, from there. Um, I think you know the only the only table we've not got in Death Watch is vehicles. So your Corvus Blackstar, you can't use a, a Death Watch specific battle trait. You have to uh, go to the Space Marine Codex for that because um, you can't have a vehicles in in any of these. Um, but that's okay. You, there's plenty of things for vehicles in the, the regular Space Marine Codex. Give us um give us a random trait from characters then. Okay, uh, let's choose the well. There's only two for each of. Uh, Watchmaster and Captain, or Chaplain, or Librarian. So, uh, Let's... give me a, a one or a two on the Chaplain, then, and we'll see what a Chaplain can do. One. So, perpetual repugnance. Hate <laughs> for the Xenos fuels this Chaplain's bombastic and blood-filled recitations. Each time this model recites a litany, if it's within twelve inches of an Eldar, uh, Tyranid, Orc, Necron, or Tau unit. That litany is automatically inspiring. Do not roll. Oh, okay. that's cool. So that's really quite good. If you're close to the enemy, you were you know, for that chaplain. That's quite good. So, uh, what about a a a regular Death Watch one? Can you give me a, a D6, please? Four. So four is uh, rapid appraisal. Using their subliminal psycho conditioning, the most experienced <laughs> veterans identify their target and select the load. And relevant shell with an effortless and lethal speed. So each time this unit is selected for the special issue loadout stratagem, that stratagem costs zero CP to use. So I guess we'll, we'll pick up stratagem shortly as well. We can look at that. Shall we look up that one now, though? Yeah, why not? Go on then. Um, where have I put the stratagems? They're in this book somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I assume there aren't any crusade specific stratagems. I don't think that's something no. you've seen yet. This is just obviously relating relating to the death watch stratagems in the codex. Absolutely. So, and that's why in the background you can hear me rapidly flicking through the book. My understanding is that's like the replacement for the old rule they used to all have, right? Yes. Yeah. I yes, yeah, that's what, correct. What was this called again? Something like rapid appraisal. Yes. Yeah, I've just got this idea of one Death Watch like turning to, uh, like one Death Watch member turning to his colleague and just being like, you know, nah, mate, what you got there is a fake <laughs> bolt round. That's not <laughs> legit, but you can tell because it's missing the engraving on the bottom here. <laughs> this hey, one isn't no, truly what, blessed by the Emperor. <laughs> what it reminded me of when I first read through this stuff a few, quite a few weeks ago was. Um, I can't remember which Horus Heresy novel it was, but there's one that starts with an ultramarine and a word bearer meeting on a spaceship where he comes through the airlock. And there's a description where they're rapidly appraising each other. Uh, and like their high level combat sensors are saying, oh, he's got a bolt gun and a sword. And, you know, this is my exit point. All this kind of high stuff. level sensors and, there. And then they go on and greet each other as friends, you know, but they can't help it because their space marines are always looking at that kind of stuff. Um, so it kind of reminded me of that kind of thing. I'm always appraising. I know what the what the, if this turns hot really quickly. I know what to do. Get drop it. Uh, but with a stratagem, especially if you load out, use this stratagem in your shooting phase when you select a Death Watch infantry unit from your army to shoot until the end of the phase. Bolt weapons, excluding bolt sniper rifles, uh, without special ammunition ability uh, in that unit, are equipped with that. Uh, gain that special ammunition ability. Uh, and their type cool. characteristics change to heavy one. So it's giving the special issue ammo to things that don't traditionally have it. Yeah, absolutely. Which is which is quite nice. That's cool. Do you want to give us one more on that, that 
list for battle traits. Librarian, I want to hear some psychic shenanigans. All right. Uh, <laughs> so uh, the first one here is the Scholar of the Forbidden Librarius. Uh, so this psychic's mind is as adaptable as their chapter tactics. At the beginning of each battle, this model can replace its smite psychic power with one psychic power from Xenopurge discipline. Xenopurge is the specific psychic discipline available to Deathwatch. Yeah. It, it knows that power until the end of this battle, so you don't always have to just stick with smite. Can, uh, that's uh, cool, especially when... Yeah, that's really cool. I, I believe the Crusade rules mean that you pick your powers for your psyche and that's kind of, that's it sort of thing. Like, yeah. Those are the ones they know indefinitely. So to be able well, to... I think so there's um a, there's a requisition to change your psychic powers, isn't there? Y- yes, it's the like you know reequip requisition sort of thing, but so this is allowing that one psyker to basically per game on a whim they can switch yeah. between smite and one other given power that yeah. they know from their discipline. Oh yeah, yeah, and, and I mean anybody normally has to take smite with a psyker, of course, uh, but it allows to swap that out for for an extra a different power instead. Yeah, which cool. you know, you can you can use to focus on the specific army that you're you're fighting against, of course. I like that because I think we saw something like that for the Eldar, like Fortune, uh, lore in Psychic Awakening. I think that was the yes. only other instance I'm aware of where, yeah, in in eighth slash ninth edition, you could trade out Smite for something else, um, and like forego it. So that's really cool. I really like that. And, and the other librarian one is pretty cool as a battle trait as well. Once in uh, Mental Duelist, once in each of your opponent's psychic phases, you can re-roll one Deny the Witch test for this model. So the ability to re-roll a Deny the Witch test if, you, if you're not successful is, is quite good. Handy. Speaking of not being successful, I assume there are a couple of unique battle scars as well? Uh, <laughs> there almost certainly are. So look, there, there are three unique battle scars. Um, oh, go on then. Run, run us down those quickly. There's just three of them. So this is whenever yeah. you failed an out-of-action test for a destroyed unit, and instead yeah. of losing XP, you could choose to take a battle scar randomly yeah. generated, and in this case, it could be from this table of three. Absolutely. So the first one is bring not shame to your chapter. Believing they have suffered, uh, sullied their respective chapters' names, these warriors fight with wild abandon to reclaim their honour. Uh, you can only select this battle scar if you gain no more than one experience point from battle. Uh, in your shooting phase, each time this unit is selected to shoot, roll the d6 on a 1 until the end of the phase. Models of this unit can only target the closest eligible enemy unit. In your charge phase, each time you declare a charge, roll the d6. If it's a 1, you can only charge the closest enemy unit. And you can select this unit as the target of the Atonement through Honor stratagem, even if it does not contain a back shield. So I think we'd better look at that because that's the second time this has come up, isn't it? So the Atonement through Honor stratagem, one CP, um, use this stratagem in your opponent's charge phase. Select one Death Watch unit from your army that contains a black shield, or of course has been not shamed to your chapter. Uh, that unit can perform heroic intervention phase as if it were a character model. Ah, that's cool. What yeah. I really so like. Is that what I really like about that battle scare as a whole, though, is basically it's the old orcs and goblins animosity rule. <laughs> it is. It <laughs> the is. idea that the different chapters, are because all the marines are from those different chapters, they're just busy arguing. This is that moment when the uh, the, uh, the Dark Angel decides to make a snide coin at the Space Wolf, or the, uh, <laughs> the, the Blood Angel just feels a little twinge of uh, a dark rage, and so on. <laughs> yep. Um, that's, that's really so, funny. I quite like that as a battle scar. Yeah, absolutely. 
very thematic. Um, the second one, uh, Battle Sky here, is a brotherhood in turmoil. Um, so this is more like what you were just describing. Oh, so oh the, okay, the, so when the actual arguments kick off. Yeah, yeah. So the flavour text is, tensions that were once mastered resurfaced and volatile brothers clash, crippling team cohesion and stoking and simmering rage. So you can only select this battle score if you lost a battle. Uh, add one strength characteristics to models and unit. Add one advance and charge to roles made for this unit. Apply the effects of disgraced and mark of shame battle scars from the core rulebook. Um, yeah, mm, so uh, I think those are harsh penalties. I carry them both there off the top of my head, but I think it's something like can't use auras and can't be selected for stratagems or something like that. I think so. I think so. Sounds right. Yeah. I, should have got my core rulebook to hand, though. I don't have it. But I'm sure uh, our listeners can look that up dead easy. <laughs> Hold on. So that's that's one of those interesting ones where you actually get an upside with your battle scar, i.e. the strength yep. and like charge distances and stuff. But yep. you obviously then have a significant drawback to offset the fact that your battle scar is giving you a bonus. Yes. Yeah. And maybe maybe if it is an assault intercessor unit you've taken or something like that, you know, having additional strength and additional advance and charge rolls, that's maybe not necessarily a bad thing if you're not planning to use things like auras and stratagems with them anyway. Uh, what was it? Disgraced and Mark of Shame? Yeah, both. Yeah, so Disgraced is uh, you cannot use any stratagems to affect the unit, nor can you use the, nor can you use the command re-roll stratagem to affect any dice rolls made for it. That's a stratagem, um, Mark of yeah, mark of shame is this unit is unaffected by the aura abilities of any friendly unit. <laughs> yeah, so you may get plus one strength and plus one charge, was it? But you suffer no aura yeah. benefits and no stratagem benefits. Yeah, then you're on your own. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, and then the third one uh, is xenophobic furor. Uh, a seething hatred for their Xenos tormentors drives out these warriors' minds. All thoughts of uh, save furious retribution. So, you can only select this battle scar if the unit was destroyed by Tyranids, Elgar, Orc Necrons, or Tau unit. When a unit gains this battle scar, make a note of the faction keyword of the enemy that destroyed it on its Crusade card. Oh. While there are any units on the battlefield with the faction keyword noted, and one to the attack characteristic of the model in this unit, the unit cannot perform actions. And the models in this unit are ignored for the purpose of determining who controls objective markers. So <laughs> they just hate the people that have defeated them in the past, right? That's amazing. They basically become death company, but they hate <laughs> the particular yes. uh, species yeah. that injured them rather than Horus. So if they get killed by orcs, they're perfectly fine fighting everyone else. But as soon as the orcs turn up, it's it's all Leroy Jenkins. Yeah, <laughs> no objectives here. Let me add him. Let fight. me add him. <laughs> yeah, of course, the orcs want that in return anyway, right? Yeah. <laughs> so they're yeah. pretty cool thematic battle scars, I think, for those three. <laughs> I think they're really yeah, cool. that's really cool. So just to round us out then for this latest yep. On Crusade segment, I'm sure there are a couple of relics in the vaults of the Death Watch, but do you want to give us your favourite one, Dave? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I think just really because of the name of it, it's quite. It's there's three relics: one artificial relic, one antiquity relic, and one legendary relic. But it's the uh, it's the antiquity relic, the Magpul's Discharger. It just sounds so odd. <laughs> uh, wrist-mounted defensive device as much psychological weapon. The warrior thrust his palm towards approaching Xenos hordes, and his disgust seemed to be a divine force driving them back. 
once in each of your opponent's charge phases, when an enemy unit within 12 inches of the bearer is selected to charge, you can choose for the bearer to use this relic. If you do, until the end of the turn, subtract two from charge rolls to that unit. So it's like, stand back, don't charge me. <laughs> it's, it basically goes full on Magneto. Yeah. <laughs> he just forces uh, it them just, back. So that's that's quite a fun one. I, I really quite like that, of the, the best of the three of them. Uh, the other one's a special special type of ammunition, uh, which uh, uh, if you attack successfully, inflicts one mortal wound anyway, uh, instead of instead of whatever comes through. Uh, and the the third one is is an aura um, relic, um, which anybody within six inches, um, anybody within six inches of the bearer, but attacked from more than thirty inches away, um, subtracts one from the attack roll. So it's a bit of a shield. Okay, fair enough. You don't you don't want to pick the legendary um, relics anyway because you want to pick the vortex grenade from the rule book. <laughs> <laughs> true. because it's a vortex grenade yeah. yeah that's true thank you Dave for running us through the death watch on crusade yeah and there's there's a lot more you know there's the crusade specific things uh, I guess we didn't there's a couple of things that I didn't really talk about which is which is fine that's worth reading up on the special issue equipment the different types of grenade ammunition and war gear that you can use uh, which are similar to things we've seen in previous rule sets uh, and there's quite a lot of the generic stuff that applies as well which we're not going to review today yeah um, i mean it's you know if you love your space marines you look you've got a hankering for death watch really really fun supplement really fun building and painting the army and it was say we will get around to doing a space marines on crusade segment in the future and if you want to be part of it then go drop your name on that poll in the facebook group so i know that you want to be there <laughs> um but now Having spoken about filthy, filthy Xenos and how we combat them on Crusade, it's about time that we move on to some actual Crusade missions. So we're going to move on now to our spotlight topic, which is the brand new Plague Purge mission pack. Are you enjoying the Narrative Wargamer podcast? If you are, why not check out our community Facebook group at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook. We share our latest hobby projects and narrative battles, and aim to grow a community for casual and narrative 40k players. We're always excited to see the awesome things our listeners are working on, and it is a great place to hang out with other like-minded hobbyists. You can also find us on Instagram, at Narrative Wargamer, and over on Twitter, at Narrative40k, for regular hobby updates on our 40k projects. And we're back, guys. So we're going to move on now to our spotlight topic, which is looking at the brand new Plague Purge mission pack from Games Workshop for Crusade play. So this is a lot like the previous mission pack we had, the Beyond the Veil one. Um, But there are, there's actually some noticeable differences between the two, which I perhaps didn't quite expect. But um, I think it makes a bit more context with the wider release schedule uh, for this particular um, mission pack. But we're going to get into that in a bit. So I believe, Dave, you've got a copy of this yourself as well. I do. I do indeed. And Dan, you're hearing all this for the first time. Yes, I have literally never heard any of this before in my life. Because no one else on the internet seems to want to talk about it. I know, right? It's a shame. Like, I don't know... 
honestly, I'm kind of surprised I haven't seen more, um, you know, content coverage about the Plague Perch mission pack. I did see some stuff about um, Beyond the Veil when that sort of first released. Yeah. Um, but this one seems to kind of, I, I think it's sat in the shadow of um, the Book of Rust. Yeah, bit, definitely. It's kind of like been sidelined as a result. I, I'm I'm not sure if they um if uh, Games Workshop even sent them out to their uh, you know the reviewer type people, the influencers. <laughs> I'm not sure if they they sent out copies of that or not. True, actually. I mean, I imagine they probably did, but then again, I don't know the stipulations of contract. Like, if whether or not they would have to talk about it to some extent, even if it was just mentioning that they had it. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, hmm. yeah I don't know. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not entirely surprised we've not heard very much from other people. Uh, and I think part of that is with Beyond the Veil, yeah, you sort of had the whole campaign in there um, and the, the extra system for the investigation points and all that kind of stuff. Whereas this, it's there's less of that kind of stuff in here, and I'm sure we'll get into the detail of that. And more of that is sort of outsourced towards the Encharadon book itself, right? Yeah, so that is exactly my impression of it. Um, I actually think that this... I think it's kind of got two, um, what's the word? Not two benefits, but like, I think that is definitely the case with this particular mission pack. And I think that is both, it's a bit of a double edged sword because I think it's both a, a bit of a blessing and a bit of a shame. Because, mm-hmm. like I say, we're, we're going to get into the details shortly, but basically, I think, how did I, how did I sum it up? Um, I put, uh, this book is either, a very straightforward mission pack for just expanding your set of playable crusade missions straight out of the rulebook. Or it can be viewed as a like companion pack or like companion publication, which is at its most thematic when combined with either the Book of Rust, a Burlis campaign system, or the White Dwarf Theatres of War for Warzone Charidon. Or possibly both at once. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think it, it really could. And it, it, in terms of, if you just look at it in terms of pure missions, you could probably take these missions and, and redeploy them elsewhere. I mean, you could use them uh, as a, a, a whole additional set of missions to be used um, in, in other war zones, even like the um, one we were just talking about. His name I've forgotten. Charadon? <laughs> uh, nope, <clears throat> the older one that we've already reviewed once. Oh, the Agamon? Or Iron Nexus. Pariah Nexus, Pariah thank Nexus, you. Right, yes. Uh, so, yeah. so you wouldn't get the investigation stuff, but you could certainly, you know, bulk out the number of missions yeah. you could play if you had uh, you had worked through those, um, and and you still wanted to play in the Pariah Nexus. It gives you you could just use them as a generic set of missions. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of like the impression I got. That actually, I think this it's a really good pickup if you're looking to just expand what you would call the generic crusade system um because it it is a mission pack with 24 brand new crusade missions six per scale of the game um and uh, you know technically there's no duplicates although a couple of them are basically the same mission um reskinned with like numbers of objectives and victory points to scale for that um particular size of game but i do think realistically this is a good like you know, 16 to 20 sort of like genuine, uh, unique missions in there. Um, mm-hmm. And without it containing a larger 
sort of like requisition tier gameplay mechanic like the investigation mechanic that we saw in prior Nexus and without containing like an internal theatre of war system like we saw with setbacks and afflictions in prior Nexus it means that it is basically that it's just a series of 24 additional missions um, and the elements that are not present in it that were in the prior Nexus so in Beyond the Veil names um, is things like additional battle scars, battle traits, um, like the theatre of war stuff. But that's kind of all covered by the content in the Book of Rust. Yeah. Um, so if you want to, you know, claim your Abolis campaign um, crusade relics, you get them by playing either in the Abolis campaign system or by using the Theatres of War from White Dwarf. Um, and I think if you really want to simulate the war for Metallica in the Charidon sector, then basically these are the missions you would play if you weren't playing a legendary mission for that yeah. week of the campaign. Right. Because this is... It's still set very much in the Charidon sector. It's set during the Death Guard invasion of Metallica. Um, and again, it's not, while it's a crusade narrative play publication, it has only got four pages of lore at the front of it. So, but again, most of that really is all the lore of the War for Metallica. So it is the lore from uh, the Book of Rust. Yeah. And, and that's very similar to, to the. Uh... The Brian Excess book, uh, that's that's only got <clears throat> a similar amount of law, so there's not not huge amounts in there, uh, and that's I think that's equivalent, right? Yeah, I remember it being um, uh, somewhat kind of uh, criticised for that at the time, but now it's uh, it's it, that's been replaced by the content in the other book, right? Yeah, yeah, which is much richer and much more expansive in terms of law. Yeah, it's almost kind of like if you were to pair off the publications, it's kind of like Beyond the Veil paired with Flashpoint Argavon in White Dwarf. And um, yeah. Plague Purge pairs with Warzone Charidon, Act 1, Book of Rust. Although yeah. arguably probably Act 2 as well, once it arrives. And Flashpoint Charidon from White Dwarf. Um, so it, it's funny. Let's see, we'll, we'll, we'll get into the details, but... Um, Essentially, I think the the investigation system present in Beyond the Veil is basically the equivalent of the Abolus campaign system for that setting. It's kind of like, here's the Crusade pack with its missions and its unique narrative sort of campaign mechanic. Whereas this one, Plague Purge, I actually think could be really useful to someone just for a generic mission pack. Yeah. It, it sounds I mean, like it's, it's designed that way, right? It's, it's, yeah, it's a companion, but also a standalone. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that is new in Plague Purge that we didn't see in, in um, Celtic, in Beyond the Veil, <laughs> <laughs> is there's actually 12 new universal stratagems included in here. 
which are not tied to faction or race or anything like that. There's just 12 stratagems available to any army playing these games of Crusade. So none of them are, if you are an Imperial Knights army with a free break? <laughs> no. Exactly. Um, they are split into two like categories of stratagems, which so you've got two sets of six, and any given mission only uses one set or the other. Okay. So it's not like you've got twelve to remember per you know for every mission, but the fact that it adds in, it, I mean, it basically doubles the amount of universal stratagems available to anyone playing any crusade mission. Hmm. You, you get, yeah, I think it's like I think it's about six in the core rulebook in this in ninth edition. I can't remember the exact something number. like that. Yeah, like you know, you command reroll, you desperate breakout, your Overwatch, your universal strats. I mean, there's more than just command reroll. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing is, if there was no command reroll, there'd be so many more stratagems that would get used. But that—that's a debate for another day. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, so like, really, I mean, we mentioned it in our episode where we covered uh, Beyond the Veil, but the. Plague Purge Mission Pack does also contain the core rules for 9th edition. So about a quarter of the book is actually the core rules for the game. Yeah, it's nice, just like Beyond the Veil, and the um, the Munitorium Pack, the, the general one that's not narrative. Um, so uh, yeah, again, the... nice just to have these. Yeah, so I, I just, I still can't believe that fact isn't advertised more or even just like discussed by players more that there are mini rule books in print for ninth edition that are just out there you can pick up off the shelf without having to buy a box set of something. Yep. Which has traditionally been the case in previous editions. I, I guess it's a it kind of it's it's both good and bad in that it's good because you have you get to carry less books around. Uh, you've got this the rule book included in your book that you were taking for these these crusade games, but also mm-hmm. that's a, a about a quarter of the book that you don't need if you already have the rule book, right? I guess arguably because while this while Plague Purge does contain the the eighteen steps of pre and post battle sequence. Um, and includes the full list of agendas available to pick when playing these missions. Well, that's which, handy. Yeah, which Beyond the Veil didn't. Beyond the Veil just had the new um, agendas it introduced and basically said you could pick these in addition to the ones in the core rulebook. Right. Plague Purge has the full list published in here, including its editions. Okay, that's that's handy. But what it doesn't have and neither did Beyond the Veil, is any of the actual crusade um, army construction mechanics. Right. So I guess if you're thinking about, you know, wanting to create your, um, what's it called? Like your, your pool of units. Uh, your order of battle or something like that? That's the one, Yes. Like, if you're wanting to work out how to create your order of battle and how to spend your acquisition points, you're going to need your core rulebook for that. Yeah. Like, the core game mechanics of Crusade are not in here, 
but mm-hmm. arguably you don't need those to actually play a game of Crusade. Yeah, I, I guess the intent is you bring this book with you to your game, and then you have your big heavy rule book with you at home when you do your admin. Yes, when you do your army admin. Um, so yeah, I think that's sort of like the gist of the differences. Um, and we'll, we're going to get into, you know, some of the specifics, uh, like new additions, and we're going to go through a couple of the example missions. Um, but yeah, it's, it's good. Right. <laughs> 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 like, like, you know, it's. I think surprisingly, it's just a good pickup to if you want to if you're a narrative player and you're not interested in playing your grand tournament missions, if you've got your core rulebook, picking up Plague Purge just helps you expand that core casual gameplay mechanic of forty K. There's a lot, there's a lot of content in here that I think you know, will be useful to anybody that's got a a, a narrative bent. Uh, to the to the way they like to play games, and um, I, I'm genuinely surprised that there's it's not being talked about as much as it has, even just because of those general features. Um, yeah, well, like I said, probably I think... not being talked about because it doesn't have new army lists in it. But uh, those general features are really useful for anybody, even even somebody who likes to play more competitive games just for a bit of variety. Yeah, and I think what now between. Beyond the Veil, Plague Purge, and the core rulebook, you've got somewhere upward of 70 Crusade missions that have been published now. And yet, how often do you hear people talking about the same essential six missions from a Grand Tournament pack to get mm-hmm. played? Yeah. <laughs> over and over and over again. Then again, I've only played two Crusade games since <laughs> the Orgon release, so, you know. Well, <laughs> when... You know, when the world allows us to play more than two yeah. games in a year, yeah. then I'm sure we will do. Because <laughs> I'm in the exact same position. <laughs> um, so yeah, then we'll actually we'll dive into some of the specifics. So, um, we mentioned already that Plague Purge does include all listed agendas that either player can pick when playing a Crusade mission um, from this mission pack. Now, the small technicality is that technically you can only use the ones in here and it does cut out a couple of the ones in the core Crusade agenda list. Okay. But personally, I wouldn't have a problem with suggesting people could just access it as an entire pool of options. Do you get the impression that they were sort of, this is um, an iteration and they've been removed from the system? Or is it just they're not in play in this particular kind of setting? Funnily enough, I think it's a little bit half and half. I think in the case of all but one of the categories, I would say it feels more like an iteration. But in the case of shadow operations, it feels like a complete overhaul. I think it's a deliberate choice. And and the Mm. reason I say that is actually based on layout reasons. Because when you look at the end of the agendas, the last page on the agendas, there's enough space that they could have fit them all on, all the missing ones on. But the um, there's a big line drawing of a Death Guard 
character there that they've used to fill the space, and it just feels like they, they it was a deliberate choice I, to explain. I'm sorry, a Death Guard character. You, you mean Typhus? <laughs> yeah, that's the one. You know, I didn't come on the Death Guard episode for a reason. <laughs> yeah. Is that Typhus? It's, I could tell it was a Chaos Space Marine. Yeah, it's the very Jeez. classic... Uh, drawing like um, pencil drawing of Typhus from I believe the third edition Chaos Codex, where he's holding okay. one poor guardsman by like the shoulder. Yeah, that's that's, that's the picture. I just um, yeah, uh, they're nice enough Death Guard. I've just uh, never had a desire to to collect the army, and I but it's awesome for people that do. So apologies for my <laughs> one of the areas where I lack knowledge. <laughs> You don't have to apologise. I just thought it was funny how you just described it as some Death Guard character. You, you, yeah. you mean the, the whole antagonist of this two-part multi-publication <laughs> series? He's, he's still still subservient to Abaddon, isn't he? Well, he, he, he likes to uh, act like he is. You know, Their goals happen to not conflict at this exact moment. So <laughs> what if he happens to go where Abaddon would like him to be anyway? There's no skin off his diseased back <laughs> um, so yeah I, I know what you mean um, but that's why I, I kind of agree that I think this is a deliberate choice and um, I do think that the minor additions and changes to most categories is just an iteration but the shadow operations category it's like it's three completely new agendas with none of the ones from the core book yeah, yeah. That's that's fair. The the core book ones were quite challenging. Um mm. in fairness. So we'll just go through them uh, one at a time, some of these new ones. So under Purge the Enemy, um as per your standard stuff, you've got options like Assassins, Priority Target, Titan Hunter, Kingslayer. But they've also added bring my book over here. Calculated Eradication. Keep a Calculated Eradication tally for each unit from your army. Add one to a unit's tally each time it destroys an enemy unit, excluding aircraft, that is within range of an objective marker when it was selected as the target. At the, at the end of the battle, each unit gains one experience if it has one or more marks on its tally. In addition, the unit in your army that has the highest tally earns two additional experience points. If two more units are tied, you choose which unit achieves the uh, receives the additional experience points. Cool. Which I think it's interesting that that means one unit in your army is going to get free XP for that, so long as they yeah. kill something. Yeah. Which I think most people, even with the worst look in the world, can probably achieve to kill at least one thing in a game. Yeah. It's usually the case, although I'm sure we can all bring games to mind that. Uh... <laughs> That's not happened. <laughs> no. Unless it's some particularly pesky Castellan robots. Because, <laughs> funnily enough, I think my first and only game against Dan to date was also one where I failed to destroy... Oh, no, I, did, I destroyed the Flappy Bird Men. That was it. Yes, you I think destroyed that was the Flappy unit. Bird Men. I mean, I did a lot of damage across a lot of units, but yeah. I didn't actually wipe anything out entirely apart from the Flappy Bird Men. Yeah, it's pretty much just them. Which means that star scrap jet would have earned all the XP even more so in that case. <laughs> well, only if they were near an objective at the time. You only get these these eradication points if they are within range of an objective mark. Oh, balls, you're right. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> in, in most instances, 
uh, you'd have good opportunity to score that, right? Mm. Yes, because yeah. like that's that's where object that's where objectives is where units want to be. Typically, that's how you win and, the game. And don't get me wrong; that scrapjet was on the only objective about forty-eight inches away the following turn, immediately after mm-hmm. killing the bird. Ben, ah, uh, yes. So, th- th- there's one one phrase in there with rain within range of an objective marker. Now, I'm not we none of us particularly hardcore competitive players. Is that got a specific meaning in the rules? With well, it, is it, in this case, it, it was um, smashing through a dune walker over a crater cliff uh, as a fiery ball of death directly on top of the objective. I, I hear the scars that this game has caused you, but I was talking about the description Gen- of the agenda. General in. terms. Uh, I imagine it just means within range, within scoring range of the objective. Um, so yeah, obviously that, in... I believe it's it obviously it's three inches horizontally of the edge of the objective now in in ninth edition. Um, I think it's also is it five inches upwards, five inches vertically, yeah. which is yeah, why they said so. distance rather than writing it all out in full. <laughs> so yes, kill things on objectives. Whoever kills the most things on the objectives gets the most XP. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's good because it basically. You can almost always select that if you don't have anything yeah. better to do, because that's playing the game, isn't it? Yeah. If you think you know, going for characters or the warlord or vehicles or monsters are going to be particularly troublesome for that game, it's a good alternative. Yeah. Then, uh, under No Mercy, No Respite, we have There Is Only War. At the end of each battle round, if more enemy units were destroyed during the battle round than friendly units, select one unit from your army that destroyed one or more enemy units during that battle round. That unit gains one experience point. Each unit from your army can gain a maximum of three experience points during the battle on its agenda. Okay. So it's the classic kill more, and if you achieve that, you pick one of the units responsible for one of the kills that battle round. So this is one of those uh, agendas where if you've got a big uh, unit deleting uh, unit of your own that you want to build up the experience on, this would be pretty good. So your um, your, your big orc mechs, uh, what they call stompers or um, something ridiculous, um, if you're building that into your crusade army. Yeah, yeah, your uh, Castellan class knights. Yeah, the big stompy thing. Castellans, isn't it? Yeah, Castellan class knights. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting that this is one of the few agendas I've seen to date where it checks for the experience point at the end of the battle round rather than yeah. at the end of the game. Yeah, it it's a bit unusual, but I mean... I mean, the fact that it gives you, effectively, in most cases, five instances to potentially gain those experience points yeah. um, is quite good because it's potentially up to five XP across your army or potentially on one guy. Yeah, I mean, I think you'd struggle to score the full five unless you were, you know, like you had two knights against an army full of individual five-man units or whatever. But yeah, that definitely sounds like a decent situational one. Yep. Yeah, another good option. I mean, I do think this adds an interesting opportunity if it came up. You could potentially allow a unit to gain its battle trait mid-game. 
Can you actually do that? No, as written. Because it's the end game when it's actually processed. Doesn't matter how many of the game mid game, does it? Yeah, in theory, as written, uh, uh, technically, it would only be at the end of the game because it's part of one of those post battle sequence steps. Um, But I don't think there's been another previous opportunity to sort of earn the XP mid game. And I just think if it happened to be the case that the unit that got one experience point because it killed the most things that turn also just was one experience point off ticking up its level up. <laughs> I think it's enough of an edge case. It'd be funny enough to um, allow them to get their upgrade. <laughs> and I think it may be worth just checking you know, when, when any of us can be bothered to in Evil's lawyer's mode to go and look to see whether that, that kind of interaction, because the XP points are applied mid game, there may be some wording in the post game that would, uh, <laughs> could potentially be affected, but uh, I'm not sure I can be bothered to go and do that soon. <laughs> Post battle sequence step seventeen: update crusade cards. Step one of seventeen: take out of action tests. Step two of seventeen: update experience points. Step three: See, you don't need it printed in the orders. mini rule book because he's going to read it all out then. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, when you say step one of seventeen, it it yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. Step seventeen's step one. In either case, I think just as a a GM or as a campaign manager, even or even just as a player as your opponent, I think it'd be really funny to do that. If there was such an opportunity, yeah. imagining my mech there frantically bolting some new upgrade onto the side of his yeah. like jets um, weapon intake. As he's trying to fire it, just gives some experimental ammo to the grot and tells it to like clamber out on the wing and load it in <laughs> mid-flight. Oh, the pri- primaris lieutenant who's just found a new sword on the battlefield. He's just pulled it out <laughs> of the uh, uh, like chaos champion. He's getting, it's Calga getting his power fists. It's that sort of thing, isn't it? Kill the chaos champion, well, take his weapons. Yeah, Eric's claw. I mean, that'd be legit, wouldn't it? If you got your yeah. experience from killing. Like an enemy character who had a relic, and then you just took their relic. The um, I believe the axe of Morkai for Grimna is another example of that. Yep. Yeah. So there you. Go. There, there is narrative precedent. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Um, then in battlefield supremacy agendas, we also have two new options for critical position and center secured. Um, critical position is after choosing deployment zones your opponent selects one objective marker each unit from your army gains two experience points at the end of the battle it is within range of that objective marker you control that marker each unit from your army that is within range of the objective marker gains three experience points instead cool that's a high risk high reward then yeah, so technically it could be a situation where, say, you've got a couple of units that are within range of an objective marker that do not have um, objective secured, and there's an enemy unit also that yeah. does have objective secured. You still gain two experience for each of those yeah. units. It's just that if you also control it, you get free experience per unit instead. Yeah. But also the fact that the opponent is dictating which one is mission critical to you it's, it's interesting that that could provide a real upside for your opponent as well if he's got something he wants to achieve 
and wants to try and distract your arm isn't he's not just the one that's he's defending the best he might say that one right over there in the far corner <laughs> of the board. that's the most important one to you stay away from my stuff yeah yeah it's like one of the missions i was going to talk about they have um there's five objective markers but four of them are designated as alpha objectives which are worth more to you if you control your opponent's alpha objectives so if he if you had this agenda so i mean i guess you'd be kind of like self-inflicting it because you're picking to choose this agenda in that yeah. scenario but yeah. they could dictate one of the other three that's not an alpha as the priority for this so it actually de incentivizes you from going for the important ones in the mission but it makes this one important to you for your experience yeah, there's a lot of funky stuff you can do with that sort of thing. Um, and then less funky, but no less effective, is center secured, which is just at the end of the battle, select one unit from your army that is within one inch of the center of the battlefield. That unit gets two experience points if there are no enemy units within engagement range of that unit or within three inches of the center of the battlefield. Fair enough. So, plonkier land raider dead and center and just make sure no one's charging it. Yep, fair enough. Uh, I feel like there's already um, an agenda for doing an action in the middle of the board. Uh, I think that's um, isn't that psychic ritual? Maybe. I guess it's this a, is like a non-psychic. Yeah, this is, a, this is like the same narrative, but easier to achieve because you just have to go and stand there at the end of the game. So yes. it's less punishing to take it. Um, but it is only worth 2 XP. Yeah. You know, there's no tally to gain more. Because I think like the Psychic Ritual one, you get like an experience point per action you complete throughout the game. I, I feel like this is one you'd take if you're going to do that anyway. Rather than... Yes. Because you wouldn't like build a plan around it. You'd just be like, well, my army is going to go stand in the middle of the board and kill everything. So... I might as well get some experience for it. And we've certainly reviewed missions in the past. I think there's, there may be some in this book as well, uh, where you know the centre of the board is an important focus for that mission, uh, either because you start there and you're surrounded or you're waiting to be relieved or um, for, for any number of different reasons why you, you start with your deployment in the centre of the board. This is just a nice aligned one with that, if you think you can keep the enemy at bay. Yeah. And then within Battlefield Supremacy, you've still got the traditional options of Sentinel, Breakthrough, and Survivor. Mm -hmm. But then we get to look at Shadow Operations, which, as I've already said, is completely different because all three of these agendas are new ones, and in theory, you don't have access to any of the previous um, Shadow Operation agendas if you're playing to the word of the rule in Plague Purge. I think they could just easily be additional options if you wanted. So we've got Secure Supply Cache. Keep a tally for each unit from your army. Each time a unit successfully completes the supply, the Secure Supply Cache action, add one to that unit's uh, supply tally. If you've selected this agenda, then units in your army can attempt the following action. One or more units from your army... Um, excluding aircraft and fortifications, can start to perform this at the end of your movement phase. Each unit from your army 
must be in range of a different objective marker that has not already been uncovered by your army. A unit cannot start this action while there are any enemy units, excluding aircraft fortifications, in range of the same marker. If the unit performing this action is infantry, it is completed at the end of your turn. Otherwise, it is completed at the start of your next command phase. Mm. If this action is successfully completed, that marker has been uncovered by your army. Each unit gains another experience points equal to its secure supply cash tally. So, I believe it's something similar to sort of like raise the banners concept. Yeah. Get to an objective, perform the action, earn an XP, move on to next objectives yeah. because now you can't do that again on that same objective. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. it's definitely a theme that's been through several other rules through the years. The the kind of yeah. you have to do a thing on each objective. Uh, I like the um the the differing time to complete the action depending on the type of unit. That's an interesting balancing mechanic. I don't think we've seen that before. It's something that I think we've seen start coming in since um well this, actually, I think. I think this is the first <laughs> publication where we've seen it. <laughs> um because yeah, it's this interesting distinction between infantry and non infantry units, so that it makes infantry units more valuable at completing actions because they do it quicker. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess it makes, you know, it makes more sense that it would take a predator longer to raise the banners yeah. on an objective than it would do a squad of marines. I mean, it's it's just an extra little layer of granularity rather than just saying infantry can do it and no one else can or everyone can do it and there's no bonus for being infantry. Yeah, I mean, I also think it's... Uh, an interesting choice that they've gone with infantry keyword rather than say core. Now I know that that's probably because at this moment in time, not every army has core units because they don't have those publications yet, but maybe you could see a shift with that post um, codex rollout where you start seeing a wording like this, where it's like core units from your army complete it um, in this. Yeah phase and other non-core units are next turn yeah I could imagine that because that would allow things like dreadnoughts to complete that action in the same turn rather than the next turn yeah I mean the only thing is obviously that some armies are blessed with more core than others but then is there an argument that those armies would be better at securing ground well possibly like you know as great as they are, custodes are probably going to be less capable of physically holding larger areas of battlefield. Yeah, they hold a very small area very well. Yes. <laughs> well, they tend not to even hold ground at all. They they zoom in and attack and wipe you out and then move on. Right. Um, and I think I think that does. I like that it fits thematically. It suits some. Uh, armies based on their own theme better and other armies are not going to necessarily choose this a particular operation well yeah i guess that's the point of the whole agendas or secondary objectives thing is you you yeah. pick the ones that work for you so yeah it, w- it would make sense in that case to have something uh in a future publication of that type but then 
Very interestingly, I quite like the next one, the Sabotage Defences Agenda, which it's basically the same premise um, where it's, you know, a unit starts an action on a thing and once it's completed, um, you've achieved it on that thing, you earn an XP and you move on. But in this case, rather than it being objective markers, um, it's used on... Um, what's the thing? It's used on different terrain features that are within your opponent's deployment zone. Cool. So you're physically destroying and sabotaging the defences that they have on the battlefield. Okay. I think somebody at Games Workshop's got a thing for cutting down trees. <laughs> I think uh, there seems to be a lot of these things that we talk about, which involve cutting down trees. Well, now that you mention it, they have started. Uh, they have stopped doing purely digital books uh, and uh, <laughs> only printing them, and then you can put them in the app. So maybe they really do hate trees. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's just really interesting to see this idea that the battlefield itself, like the board, has a consideration to a mission set. Yeah. Because quite often when all these missions and scenarios and agendas talk about objective markers, it's in this sort of like voided planet bowling ball situation where yeah. all, you, all you see in the specs is the distance between the markers or the conditions and how they're set up, but it doesn't always relate to the nature of the board that they're actually placed on. Whereas this one, Sabotage Defences, it's going to be dependent on how much area terrain like there is um, or terrain features in your opponent's deployment zone and how feasible it is for you to get to them. Yeah. But like you said, custodes are going to struggle to stop you from cutting down all their trees because they're <laughs> not going to be able to stop you getting to all their terrain pieces. Yeah. And if you've got a fairly open board that's a, a little bit similar to, you know, um, competitive play board, which, which can be quite open, you're not going to have necessarily as many terrain features as we would on, say, um, um, an Eldar, um, what's called the Eldar Worlds, the Forest Worlds, um, where, you know, you're going to set up your terrain with, you know, the whole board is going to be covered in patches of uh, dense forest, right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's not a pick for an ITC format where both deployment zones have an L shape, a ruin, and a hill. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. Your maiden world where you've covered it all in classic spiky cactus forest um, is going to be much more viable for this. Um, and then finally in Shadow Operations, we have the first of the agendas that feels more tied to the narrative of Was on Charidon, um, which is investigate malignancy. So you can see how like, we've talked about these um agendas so far and yet none of them really tie into the fact that it's a death guard invasion of a forge world yeah um but investigating malignancy is sort of like that first step on that the fact that it's basically just trying to root out um, the ascendancy of entropy before it sets in <laughs> so keep an investigate tally for each unit from your army each time a unit successfully completes the investigate malignancy action add one to that unit's tally one or more units from your army, excluding aircraft fortifications, can start to perform this action at the end of your moving phase. 
Each unit from your army that starts to perform this action must be within six inches of an edge of the battlefield that has not already been investigated by oh. your army or within three inches of the centre of the battlefield if it has not already been investigated by your army. If the unit performing this action is infantry, it is completed at the end of your turn. Otherwise, it is completed at the start of your next command phase. If it is completed, the battlefield edge or centre of the battlefield has been investigated by your army. Each unit gains a number of experience points equal to their investigate malignancy tally. Okay. So again, go yeah. to a place, do the action, yeah. earn an XP, now go to another place. In this case, it's all four table edges and the centre of the That's table. That's cool. What I like about this one is it's not only... The only thing that makes it thematic to, to this particular campaign is the fact they put the word malignancy in there at the top, really. <laughs> I know, right? Um, you could totally, you know, just replace the word malignancy with, you know, investigate xenostanks, investigate, you know, search for dilithium or, you know, whatever <laughs> you thought was appropriate for your campaign. And just Obtain use it. on obtainium. Yeah. Obtain on obtainium, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, and it, that, that's just because it is a Death Guard favourite word, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, like do you see what I mean? Like even though it's the Plague Purge mission pack, in actual yeah. fact, a lot of its mechanics are quite universally generic, which can be a good thing or a bad thing depending on how much thematicness you want out of this publication. Yeah, uh, but I that's mean, why pairing it with then a Theater of War from Book of Rust or using it in the Abolus campaign, um, it's that's where it's going to come together. Yeah, they they so far they do seem better than the the rule book agendas for you know if you want to call yeah. it that there um, it seems more achievable for the most part and then in warpcraft we have uh witch hunter and lord of the warp and now we have another insert plague name here for <laughs> generic agenda this is the scry malignancy oh keep Keep a scry malignancy tally for each psychic unit from your army. Each time a unit completes the scry malignancy psychic action, add one to that unit's tally. Uh, scry malignancy psychic action, warp charge four. One psychic character from your army can attempt to perform this action in your psychic phase if it is in range of an objective marker. Gain one. Each unit gains one experience point for each mark on its scry malignancy tally to a maximum of three. Okay. So yeah, send psychic units to objective markers. Do an action. Yeah. Do anything. Now, interestingly, it does mean that you could say do scry malignancy and secure supply caches. Yeah. Because they're different categories and they're different actions, so you could be doubling up on earning your XP from one objective marker before moving on to the next. Yeah. But you need two different units doing those actions, right? Or one yes. over two turns. Or one yes. over two turns. Um, but also with the psychic one, you can repeat it on one objective marker if you so right. choose. Okay, interesting. Um, in fact, I don't think it even says... Oh, okay, so it says one psycho character can attempt scry malignancy. So you couldn't have two of them scrying the same <laughs> yeah, objective. Right. Right, so you couldn't have like five characters all going like, oh, "I'm gonna check all the Let's objectives." Do a ritual. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, cool. So yeah, so that's all the new agendas. Yeah, it, it that looks like almost like they're saying 
these are the new official agendas. Yeah, kind of. Which is why I also think, again, this is a good extension of the core Crusade rules, more so than I think Beyond the Veil was. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, Beyond it, the Veil. So far, it almost seems like this is uh, like chapter approved Crusade or whatever. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> crusade approved. Um, and speaking of which, we then have a, a selection of new requisitions, which also interesting compared to Beyond the Veil, because the only requisitions I believe that existed in there related to the investigation mechanic. Yeah, that was yes. the um, um, uh, investigate points to replicate the effect of the other requisitions. Uh, yes. And um, the one to... To, to turn a weapon on or whatever with the Necron mm. relics. Yeah, to activate like your Necron relics and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas in here, um, there's some interesting, like general purpose um, requisitions as well. Okay. Um, there there are some specific ones as well. So, for example, um, there's two of them: uh, veterans of a bolus and raiders of a bolus, which for one requisition point allows you to pick one of those new universal stratagems we're going to talk about and you can spend it in the next you can use it once for free in the next game right so you basically exchanging a requisition for an amount of bonus cp yeah for that one time yeah um there is also uh, Adapt to Overcome, which basically is a it's a respec of a weapon enhancement on an existing unit. Right. So if you've got one that's got a battle trait that's got a weapon enhancement, you can use this requisition to change what the weapon enhancement is. Fair enough. So you know how there's the yeah. requisition in the core rules to like re-equip your units? Yeah, so it's that, but for... For the upgrades. upgrades. Okay. Yeah, but funnily enough, it, it costs three requisition points to do that. Or it costs two requisition if the weapon enhancement you're going for is one from the Book of Rust. Hmm. That's pretty steep anyway. It is pretty steep. But, you know, it, it that is in itself sort of like a new option that wasn't there before, but could yeah. also be kind of applied to almost any Crusade Force. Um, there's specialist asset. So for one requisition, you can basically um, you pick a unit, and that unit gains a weapon enhancement for the next battle only. Okay. Um, and it doesn't increase their crusade, uh, increase the unit's crusade points accordingly while it has this battle on it. So right. you can you can buff up one unit to be extra good for the next game. So it's a, it's a power up. Yeah. So it's just like a temporary upgrade. Yes. So for one requisition, you will get a weapon enhancement okay. there and then for the next game. Okay, that's But that's cool. it. Yeah, I can imagine that being useful if you if you really need. Yeah, if well, you if you your you know your opponent's got like a big knight or something, and you just really need to buff up something. Yeah, if you're playing in a campaign and you, you've got regular opponents and you've been doing your round robin of missions sort of thing, and it's coming to a big key mission, maybe one of the legendary missions from a bolus, like, and you know 
that you've got a grudge with that particular army and they have a troublesome unit and you've just added a new unit to your crusade um, that's going to help you you know, crack that nut, as it were, well, maybe this is the extra tool to just really make sure that for that matchup, you've got that edge against that unit that's troublesome for you. Yeah. Because um, I think that's something that's not touched on a lot very often, this idea of tailoring your army to your regular opponents because it's seen as a bit like taboo, you know, to be kind of like tailoring. But yeah. I think in the instances of like a crusade campaign, it almost feels appropriate. Like if you've got three opponents because you're an alliance of three players beside and you know you're always going to be fighting some variety of chaos force or demons or generally power-armoured marines, then you, your force should reflect that in its fighting style. It's not going to be cracking out the flamers because it's anticipating it might come up against a horde of Termagants or Orc boys. Yeah, well, well I mean, part of one of the major uh, kind of mechanics of Crusade is you have a, an order of battle and then you pick the bits from it you want to play in any given game. So in that situation, you are effectively list-tailoring every game. <laughs> Effectively, and I like the fact that it presents a sort of like arms race, like mechanic, between the players of the campaign. Yeah, I can see that. Like, it it kind of feels appropriate in this sort of thing. Yeah, it's not so much that you know you know that you're going to be playing against orcs, so you swap out all your las cannons for heavy bolters. It's more a matter of. Well, your mate's got that Lehman Rush you could just never kill, so you're going to bring tank busters. But then um, you ride around in a battle wagon to get them there. Well, now the guard player didn't have anything to do with your battle wagon, so now he's going to bring um, a manticore to blow chunks out of it. And you're like, right, well, now I can't get to that manticore, so I'm going to start bringing some commandos so they can (laughs) appear behind it and attempt to go stab it up. Like, oh, well, now the guard player feels like he needs some scout sentinels to be able to start zoning out your... Uh, commandos and stuff like that and over a campaign the idea that your forces are growing and adapting to the threats that you both bring is a really cool concept that you don't see when you're just doing pick up and play games yeah and i think that attitude that's built up as, as this is bad form to do is to tailor list it comes from that pick up culture where of of competitive games where you're not bringing the story and when, when you bring the story, when you've got regular players that you play against, I think it's perfectly viable to do this. And other games where you do that, for example, Necromunda, you know more about this than I do, Tony. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, you if you've got a regular delight player in your, your gang, all the other gangs equal with photo goggles, don't they? Yeah, if you if in your little circle of gangs there's someone who always keeps turning the lights off or bringing... Yeah smoke grenades, well then your gangs are going to start bringing infrared sights to be able to see in the dark and see through smoke grenades. Um, Nobody says that's bad form. That's just the way you play a narrative game together to grow together as part of the whole overall story. No one ever thinks about buying rebreathers or hazmat suits for their gangers until the Escher players start showing up with all their gas weapons and chemical warfare. (laughs) And then suddenly people will start bringing rebreathers and hazmat suits. And I think it's the same. I think it's the same because you get that narrative in Necromunda, which is why I bring it up. You, you, I think it's the same here. And um, I think it should be considered a little bit more normal. When you're playing narrative games in a, a small circle of, of 
players that you're playing again, especially when you've got a, a campaign manager and it's more structured than just pick up narrative games. I think this kind of behavior should be considered normal, not only normal, but encouraged to build that um, history of battles between between different players and, and build those stories together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, what, and what, the, sorry. No, uh, go on. One other thing of that on that point of the kind of list tailoring idea is that in a narrative game like this, um, in, as part of a crusade or whatever, it, the option is there for both players. So yeah. it isn't uh, taking advantage of someone, which it might be if you were doing your your match play yeah. pickup games, uh, where you you know you you find out what your opponent's playing and then you tailor to them. That's that's that could be a problem, but in this kind of situation, it's that's kind of part of the game, and both players do it. You both know absolutely. So it yeah it, it works right. Yeah. yeah. And then adding to that sense of really sticking to grudges and bearing your scars and sort of, you know, once more into the breach with that opponent and that conflict and that unit that just is always a thorn in your side. Because funnily enough, these next two requisitions, which I think are some very clever additions to Crusaders options, the first of which is one more into the breach <laughs> for one, one requisition. I, I see what you did there. Uh-huh. Yeah, game uh, Workshop did there. It is one more into the breach. You didn't mispronounce it. I know, right? I can't decide whether or not it's a, a typo in this or not. It should be once more into the breach. <laughs> but who does? In either case, for one requisition point, one more into the breach, purchases requisition after a Plague Burge battle. When an out-of-action test is failed for a unit from your army of battle-ready rank. That unit suffers a devastating blow, but does not lose any experience points. All other effects apply. So, this is the case where um, you don't gain experience for the game that you've just played, because you still suffer that effect, but you don't lose D6 experience as a result. Okay. Fair enough. Um, so I think it's it's kind of there to help safeguard those units before they get their first upgrade. Uh, maybe. I mean, I think it might be... I think it, that's the sort of thing you'd want to do if your unit was so close that yeah. you, you didn't want to lose any, but you also didn't want to have the, have the negatives. So I think if I remember correctly, your first... Uh, reaching bloodied rank again. Your first reward is either five or six experience points. I can't remember off the top of my head exactly. I, I want to say six, but yeah. So if you've got four or five experience on this unit, and you're about to lose d six of your four or five experience points, yeah. Then maybe for one requisition, you don't lose those d six. You you stay at five experience, so that the next battle they play in, they're gonna level up. Especially if it's one of those ones where it hasn't actually achieved much and it's played like five games and the only experience it's got has been there every time. And you're like, finally, we get to our sixth game and even we will get an upgrade. Mm. And then they die and roll a one and they lose D6 experience. <laughs> one requisition, it could be worth it, especially if it's a, a yeah. favourite unit. 
I mean, well, I mean, the other thing is you could just roll the the bad thing and and you know take it because that's fun. That is also fun, yes. <laughs> like my scrap chair that still has flimsy armor. Nice. <laughs> um, and then the last one I also really like: um, strength through suffering. One requisition, Burgess is requisition before a plague purge battle. Select one crusade card from your order of battle that has one or more battle scars. While that unit has any battle scars, each time it would gain any experience points from a battle, it gains one additional experience point. Only one unit from your order of battle can be selected for this requisition at any one time. And to use this requisition again, all of that unit's battle scars must be removed. Hmm. Interesting. That's a, I mean, yeah. that's a good excuse to take a battle scar, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, if you really are trying to turn your Space Marine Captain into a Dreadnought, and he has to earn free battle scars to get there, <laughs> why not earn him some additional XP on the way? Yeah. Yeah, I like that. You can imagine that this is the, the, the classic, you went there, man, you don't know what it's like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the, you've got the decision of either, well, do I spend the requisition to fix the the battle scar so I don't have to worry about it, or do I spend it to, like, supercharge my experience point gathering ability in this game and make it take advantage of it for a bit? Mm-hmm. Purchase is like a but battle saving card. It has one battle scars. Well, even it has battle scars. I would say, the way that reads to me, for one requisition point, that unit retains this rule across future games until such time as it has no battle scars. Oh, agreed. I mean, that's even tastier. Yeah. It's just and so, that's why you can't reuse it, isn't it? Yeah, because that's why there's the clause of only one unit in your army can have this requisition at any one time. Yeah. Mm. Otherwise, it would just say this is only once per you know, one use only per battle. If yeah. it was only going to be for the battle, so so you, you really do have a how long do you want to run around with your battle scar? Yeah. Problem. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> I can imagine again Space Marines, but. I can imagine a unit with a battle scar that's taking the agenda to um, like redeem themselves, whatever it's called. Yeah. I can't remember, but there's one where because they've got a battle scar, they can take a particular unique agenda and then have this as well. And you really do just have some penitent Black Templars who are just <laughs> you know, charging into the fray to prove that they are still righteous enough. Yeah, yeah for those that want to do uh, squat Imperial Guard Slayers... Uh... From, from the old times. I think this is exactly <laughs> where you want to go, right? Yeah, all of those people who play that army. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Both of us. <laughs> um, and then we get on to the new Plague Purge stratagems. So we're not going to do every single one of these, but if we do a couple oh. from each. So there are two categories, uh, one for recon, one for assault. Um, and they do various things, but they're all these universal ones that are available to any army as long as they're playing one of these Plague Purge missions from this mission pack. Yeah. So, uh, first up, we've got Recon. Um, that's what we've got. So, one example for free CP, Advanced Scouting. 
Use a stratagem during deployment when setting up a unit from your army that has the fast attack or troops battlefield role. That unit can be set up wholly within 6 inches of your deployment zone and more than 9 inches from the enemy deployment zone and any enemy models. So you essentially get like 6 inches worth of movement. Okay. Because you can move up to 6 inches away from your deployment zone. That's uh, which, yeah, that could be quite powerful, especially on a fast well, attack unit or certain troops units, such as Blood Angel Death Company, who then use Fallen Fury. Yeah, <laughs> just what they need more more ability to move across the battlefield faster, or just a big unit of thirty boys. Yeah, yeah, Evil Sons, Mob of Ox. Yeah. Who are then going to be advancing and charging and adding extra inches to those rolls? Like, there's a few different units for different armies that, that would be really cool for. So, I mean, I'm going to guess that most of the recon ones are that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, sort of. fast or um, kind of uh, movement based shenanigans. So, yeah, so there's like swift engagement for one CP. Use a stratagem in the charge phase. After making a charge roll for a unit in your army, if an enemy unit within range of an objective marker was selected as the target of the charge, you can re-roll one or both of the dice. Nice. Um, and then there's uh, one CP for rapid advance. Uh, use this stratagem after making an advance roll for a unit from your army. Change the result of that roll to a six. Nice. Until the start of your next turn, that unit cannot shoot or charge, even if it has an ability that would allow it to do so in a turn in which it advanced. Less nice, but sure. <laughs> but it could, to me, that brings to mind the idea of like um, move, move, move for guard. Yeah, yeah. Like guaranteed extra six inches of movement for one CP. Yeah. You don't get to do anything else, but you can guarantee you're going to go six inches. Yeah, like 100% there's there's going to be a situation when that wins games. Yeah. I mean, you can still fight back if you get charged, you know, so by all means, you know, yeah. sprint those Terminators, you know, <laughs> onto the objective. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's, like, the recon ones are involving a bunch of movements sort of, yes. really. Um, whereas then the assault uh, category... Um, there's a few more interesting ones in here. So we've got um, Stand Ground for 2CP. Use a stratagem after failing morale test for a unit from your army that is within range of an objective marker. That test is passed instead. Well, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, it's nice that it's basically... Um, in, um, is it Insane Courage? It's yeah. called? Insane Bravery, um, I think. Insane Bravery, yeah. Also 2CP like in Saint Bravery, but this could be used multiple times a game. Yes. It's not one use only. And that's after you've rolled, by the signs of it. Uh, yeah, after failing morale tests. So, so you, you even get the chance yeah, of rolling you, the one anyway. You try your luck and then you can spend the CP. Yeah, like, say you've got that one plucky guy and you're like, if I fail this, he flees and I've lost this objective marker. If he stays, I clear. I can think of many times on battle reports I've seen where that is exactly the yep, case. That's that is a that is potentially a game winning strategy. Yeah. yeah. Um, two CP turn the tide. Use a stratagem during deployment. When you deploy a unit from your army, that unit gains the objective secured ability. 
until Ooh. the end of the battle. So again, again I imagine the sort nice. of things you could give that to. Yeah, these all sound very strong, uh, and not necessarily in a too strong way, but like you'd you'd definitely consider them, wouldn't you? Mm. Like, can you see? How I mean, like some of these you could imagine being core rulebook yeah, stratagems. Definitely. You know, like two CP give a unit um, objective secured, and there's no condition on that. Like, it could be a character, it could be a vehicle, it could be a freaking titan. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's that's immediately what I thought. Objective secured knight, then. <laughs> yeah, like, if that was in the core 9th edition stratagem list, I guarantee you there would be competitive podcasts talking about that. I mean, it, that would be um, that would be in every list, pretty much. Yeah, it'd be like, here's my unit, here are my objective secured units, and then here's the unit in my army list yeah. that will also be objective secured. Yeah. So so what I like about this is it seems like these two sets of uh, stratagems would do a lot to like flavour the game as either a recon or assault type game. Because you've yes. either got a very fast moving uh, kind of um, uh, potentially tricksy game with lots of uh, manoeuvrability at play, or you've got a, a straight down the middle, hold the objectives, uh, grind them down kind of game. Yeah, and I mean, there's even a classic um, rule returning here in the assault category. So for one CP, go to ground. <laughs> it's it's really interesting. Use the stratagem in any phase when an infantry unit from your army that has one or more models receiving the benefits of cover is selected as a target of a ranged attack. Until the end of the phase, each time a ranged attack is made against that unit, subtract one from the attack's hit roll. Until Ooh. the end of your next turn, half the half that unit's movement characteristic. Okay. Yep. But yeah, that's good. Yeah, one CP to turn your cover save from just plus one armor save to plus one armor save and minus one to hit. Yeah. In exchange for half movement. Well, I'm already on this objective, or yeah, I'm already exactly. where I want to be. Like, and again, imagine if that was a one CP universal stratagem Oof. in the lexicon of the competitive meta. Yeah, that'd be rough. It would be <laughs> talked about. I was going to say it, see it, it. it is for uh, for Eldar. Uh, <laughs> it's called lightning fast reactions or something, and they use it every single turn. Yeah, I believe that costs them two CP. Hmm. Um, but yeah, like. I almost wonder if this is a bit of a testing bed for maybe some future core rules that might come out with chapter approved or an FAQ or something. Maybe. Uh, but I mean, it then might... again, if if people are not talking about it much or using it, then uh, they're not going to yeah. get much feedback. I mean, it might just <laughs> be the, the idea that um, because a lot of armies just have loads of extra stratagems from having uh, 9th edition books and or supplements... Uh, it might just be a case of we're going to give give more stratagems out for everyone to kind of even the playing field a bit. Yeah, possibly. Or would it be too soon to suggest this is perhaps a testing bed for 10th edition? Uh, like, upset, the, upset the listeners too much. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's probably already too far behind, to be honest. I'm sure 10th <laughs> edition playtesters are already using a brand new set of uh, 
Universal stratagems that probably outdated the year. <laughs> I mean, this was probably supposed to come out in December or something, wasn't it? Something yeah. like that. Um, so yeah, that's that's the extent of the non-mission content in here. So sort of like, you know, what you get with this mission pack in terms of its crusade rules and everything involved. So we'll just quickly run through one quick sample mission from each of the categories because I picked out one or two that I wanted yep. to highlight as particularly interesting or cool ones. And I'm literally just going to give you the sort of cliff notes on it. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I, the missions seems like the, the meat of it. Yeah, it's funny, you know, we've talked now for over an hour about the book and yet what we've just described as the meat of it is something we haven't even talked about yet. Well, the, I mean, the thing is, the missions are discrete bits of, uh, like, information when you play the game. They don't carry over to every other game you play, whereas the stuff we talked yeah. about, you could be thinking about that your entire crusade, right? Yeah, like it's about your order of battle, it's about your battle scars, your leveling up, your universal stratagems available to each mission. Like, there's a bunch of things, and that's without adding in things from Warzone Charadon, either the Book of Rust or the Flashpoints. Um, so, speaking of the sort of narratives of those conflicts, um, some of these missions, obviously, if you know the larger sort of battle that's going on, some of the missions make sense as to which parts of that conflict they represent. So, for example, uh, the combat patrol mission, Survivors of the Fallout, is meant to represent the Imperial worlds once they've basically been nuked by the Mechanicum. Nice. Not not experienced computer game players, then. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... As a combat patrol mission, this basically uses um, I can't remember what the deployments typically called, but it's one where you've got uh, corner deployments with like circle cut out of the center. Right. Yeah. Um, but in this case, that circle is a nine-inch uh, radius, or known as the fallout zone. So it actually is basically the area of where you know. They nuke has landed and it is highly irradiated. So, if any units are the target of a ranged attack, uh, are the target of a ranged attack inside the fallout zone, um, it's plus one to wound those targets while they're in the fallout zone. Yeah, you don't want that. No, except for the fact that there are five objective markers on this, one per table quarter, and one in the dead center of the vault. Of board. course, there is. <laughs> Yeah and, yeah, and they're all equidistant. They're all either eighteen inches apart or nine inches away from the one in the centre. And if you choose that um, agenda where your opponent picks your objective, <laughs> you're going to say, "Yeah, stand in the middle of the board, in that middle of that radiation zone, to get your extra experience." Um, and this is a mission where uh, you just score victory points by holding objectives at the end of the turn. Nice and um, simple, but it but it uses sweep and clear. So once you claim an objective, you can move off it and it remains yours until an enemy unit comes to claim it. Cool. Because it is there's five objective markers in a combat patrol mission. Yeah. You're not exactly going to be hanging around on them. You're going to plant your flag and go to the next yeah. one. Yeah, that's cool. Um, but, you could, but you're going to be going through a radiated crater if you do. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, and your victory bonus for this one, if you win, is you get to choose two units to be marked to greatness rather than one. Always, always good. Then our incursion mission example is entrapment. So this one is a it's a deployment zone where the defender has a central strip on the board and the attacker is on either side of them. Nice. But the central strip is diagonally across the board. Okay. And it's only eight inches deep. So it's eight in it's four inches from the center line on both sides. Right. Okay. So it's quite a thin so, you know, like if yeah. mo- if most units are if most models are on a base that's an inch wide, then they could only possibly be a unit in a line of eight models for that entire deployment yeah. zone. So, so this is width. this is the longest, thinnest deployment zone possible. <laughs> pretty, pretty much, um, and the attacker gets the two opposite um, diagonal qu- uh, table corners. Cool. There are two objective markers. Both of them are in the defender's central line. Right. Um, 24 inches apart, so basically evenly spaced in that line. Um, and then the only actual like victory points, as it were, are holding one or more objective, holding more than your opponent, killing one or more unit, and killing more units than your opponent. Okay. So it's hold more, kill more, basically. But when the only objective markers start in the defender's deployment zone, okay. But they're surrounded. So but they're surrounded. Yeah. So yeah, it's gonna be, it's gonna be like a head start for the defender because the attacker has to take yeah. those um, objective markers off them. Um, but it's gonna be really hard for them to hold on to them because they're so spread so thinly. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, oh, and I guess uh, it's just worth pointing out that uh, each of these missions uh, states in it whether or not you use the recon or assault yep. stratagems. And in this case, in entrapment, you use the recon missions. I was going to say, uh, this, the, this feels the recon like a recon. Yeah, and let me just double check, but I believe the Fallout Zone is also a recon. So okay. Survivors of the Fallout was also a recon one. Fair enough. Um, in the case of Entrapment, the victory bonus as well was that you get to use uh, both the Repair and Recuperate and Increase Supply Limit requisitions for free. Okay. Free Which stuff. Which is quite good. Free nice. stuff. You know, free sort of like uh, weapon uh, respec or and um, army limit increase. Yeah. Um, and then our Strike Force mission is Pandemic Locale. Hmm. So a somewhat timely mission. I, I feel like we've been saying things related to Nurgle. Oh, that's that's kind of that's timely for about a year. So <laughs> Yeah. True. If it could just go away now. Yes, we're please. Done with Nurgle. Can can twenty twenty one please be the year of Zinch? We just need some, <laughs> we just need some change. <laughs> Yeah. I suppose it's better than bringing corn down on us all. Well, True. yeah, yeah. It will take the year of plague over the year of blood and skulls. So, uh, yeah, and and obviously, 
no prizes for anyone saying, oh, what about the other one? <laughs> yeah, we're not going. Let's uh, family podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so, pandemic locale as our strike force mission. So this one, um, this is your traditional um, diagonal table quarters deployment, if that makes sense. Like you've got yep. one corner each diagonal deployment line. Twenty-four inch no man land. Cool. Sounds pretty, you know, standard mission format. Yes. There are four objective markers. Um, the attacker takes objective markers numbered one and two, and the defender takes markers numbered three and four. Cool. Yep. You pretty much uh, set them up like normal. Um, you alternate placing them, uh, starting with the attacker. They must be six inches from a deployment zone, and they must be six inches from a battlefield edge and more than 12 inches from each other. Standard stuff. Yeah. So a bunch of objective markers in No Man's Land. Cool. Now, there is a twist in the the pandemic rule. Basically, you're trying to find patient zero or where in this local, you know, where in this battlefield the infestation has started. You know, okay. you're trying to narrow it down and then narratively you're either trying to defend it and um, expediate its growth or you're trying to destroy it and stop it from spreading. So, uh, the only way to score victory points in this mission is by holding objective markers. And the objective markers start out as worth five victory points. But as the game goes on, victory points increase for holding objective markers. So, in battle round one, they're worth five. In round two, they're worth ten. Round three, twenty. And then round four and five, fifteen. Okay. But the the extra sort of complication is that at the end of... Uh, at the start of the second battle round, the attacker selects odds or evens. The corresponding objective markers are removed from the battlefield. Ah. So the attacker okay. will be removing one of the ones they placed and one of the ones the opponent placed. Right. Then, at the start of the third battle round, the defender selects one of the remaining objective markers to be removed from the battlefield. Okay. So, round one, four objective markers worth five points each. Round two, two markers worth ten each. Round three, one marker worth twenty. Yep. And then round four and five, that one marker is worth 15 and 15. Yeah. So you you lose markers as the game goes on, but the remaining ones become more and more valuable as you're zeroing in on where the source of the infection is. Yeah. And that defender ability to pick the last objective is, that's quite strong. (laughs) Yes. And this mission uses the assault stratagems. So the ones that are less about movement and more yeah. about digging in. Yeah, so you pick the one and that's you know, you're gonna sit on it and, and that's that, right? Yeah. Pretty much. So I think that's a really sort of interesting one. And then finally, uh, I wanted to just shout out the onslaught mission choke point. This is a, a bit of a classical World War Two one, this one, isn't it? It is. This is the 
classic battle for the bridge scenario. I can even picture the board at Warhammer World that would be perfect <laughs> yeah. for playing this on. Yeah, yeah. Um, so one thing I want to um, give a little shout out to, though, is that all of the deployment maps for the Onslaught missions, they all show a map that's an even longer like table rectangle than normal. Yeah. Looks to an eight before table. Yeah, it's it's yes. supposed to be uh two of the standard boards end to end, isn't it? Yeah, some big game. You know, it's larger than your typical yeah. incursion or strike force level game. And I think it's the first time I've seen a ninth edition publication that has sort of taken that into consideration with its deployment map for an onslaught level mm-hmm. mission. Okay. Um, so that is true of all of them, but this one I think was particularly interesting because, um, so imagine the center point of the table, um, from long table edge to long table edge, it's kind of divided into three sections where the very center, 18 inches, so nine from the center either side, that is the bridge effectively, you know, that is the choke point. Because then everything else from the edge of that nine inches to the table edge is considered impassable. Ooh. And in if you imagine then the length of the bridge, it's um it's twenty four inches. Yep. So it's you've got these two twenty four inch impassable blocks of table with then this eighteen inch width funnel down the center Hmm. and yeah the best way to sort of imagine it as a battlescape is the idea of like uh, a a lava flow river or two cliff faces or whatever and this bridge between the two because the impassable areas are impassable to units without the fly keyword yeah so if you are you know a tail battle suit, or actually they might be jump. That might be a bad example. I can't remember if they have fly or not. Yeah, I think but, they know, do. I it, think they do. If you're jet bikes, you know, or whatever, you know, you can fly over the impassable because, in theory, you're either just flying over the gap between the cliff faces, or you're flying over the river of lava, or whatever. Yeah, but I suppose it depends how you model it. If you model it as a tunnel, I guess you you probably not want to do that. <laughs> That's a discussion you can have with your opponent. Yeah. Unless you have keyword phasing, <laughs> yep. it's impassable. <laughs> um, but yeah, so basically that you know, that's the sort of like map scenario because the deployment zones, is worth noting, run from the short table edge all the way up to the very edge of the bridge. So... Okay. Like at deployment, at the word oh. go, you could literally have both forces sort of like lined up at their entrances to the bridge on both ends, yeah. just waiting to sort of dive on each other. <laughs> um, and then there are seven objective markers where it's free per deployment zone, set up in kind of like a T shape um, setup. Mm-hmm. And then the, the seventh objective marker is, you guessed it, dead center on the bridge. Yep. Um, but funnily enough, the two like backfield objective markers in each deployment zones are what are defined as these alpha objective markers. And basically, um, the primary 
scoring for this mission is um, taken hold. It's, you know, control two or more objective markers, control one or more alpha objective markers in your own deployment zone. Um, no, sorry, in that opponent's deployment zone. Um, or they control more objective markers than their opponent. So it's, you know, hold some, hold two or more, hold two or more important ones. Fair. Sorry, one or more important ones. It's all about holding those objective markers, but when you're having to funnel through the bridge for yeah. all non-flying units, it is going to be a meat grinder to try and force your way through to those backfield objectives. Yeah, I imagine um, deep strike type troops are going to be super valuable there. Yeah, especially when um, there's also additional victory points for controlling objective markers um, in your opponent's deployment zone on top of the take and hold points. Yes. Okay. It really is all about holding those backfield ones, forcing your way across the bridge and dominating the opponent's deployment zone. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't imagine many games are going to actually get through the bridge. There's just going to be a big punch up in the middle. And then little deep striking units doing the kind of commando raids behind enemy lines. No, oh, and given this is an onslaught mission, there's going to be a lot of units available to yeah. you know mm-hmm. keep throwing uh, them into the grinder. And this does use the assault stratagems. Yeah, so if out. ever you were going to see a mission that involved an objective secured Titan, I think it's going to be this yeah. one. Yes, please, I will have my Valiant be objective secured and stand right in the middle. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and there's, I think all the Onslaught ones are fun, to be honest. They, there's one that involves nine objective markers. There's another one uh-huh. that's got like a, a, a centre-line deployment and attackers on both sides. And there is even an Onslaught mission that uses a fallout zone, Ooh. which is um, <laughs> 20, 24 inches across. Oh, I like that. <laughs> So, yeah. yeah, there's some cool stuff in there. Cool. And yeah, that's our sort of breakdown of Plague Purge because we're not going to go through all 24 missions and no. we've already gone over the other mechanics that are in there, which, like we say, they're kind of... They are different to Beyond the Veil. And I yeah. think my takeaway from this is... I'm actually quite surprised how different this Crusade mission pack varies in its structure to the previous one. Yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, it, it very much feels like this is chapter approved Crusade. This is like the new way to play if you if you're serious about playing Crusade. Uh, this is a whole load of extra missions and new stuff for like almost setting regardless. Yeah. Um, but I also think it's very clear that it's also been designed to play alongside either the Book of Rust, Abolis campaign, or the Charidon Flashpoint missions from uh, Theatres of War from White Dwarf. Uh, yeah, like I think if you play, if you're looking to be a campaign manager and you're wanting to run an Abolis campaign then any time your players are not playing a legendary mission, pointing them to this mission pack, you know, even if it's just sending them the mission descriptions and the list of stratagems, you know. I think, yeah, and if you're a campaign manager, setting up a campaign in your own setting, I think this is well worth it just to get the ideas and, and the uh, 
the variety of missions and some some more generic expansion to to the core rules for Crusade. But then the flip side of that is, if you're just someone who likes to play almost your pick up and play Crusade missions, um, or you've got you know a, a local gaming club where you've got a couple of people who all play Crusade, and you're not wanting to run a bespoke campaign using theaters of war and um, legendary missions and all the rest of it. I think picking this up is just going to be a really good way to just expand on your mission selection. Yeah. Are we going to go as far as calling this a hidden gem that not enough people know about? <laughs> uh, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Fair enough. Funnily enough, I've, I, I think it's kind of been expected by a lot of people that this is just more Charidon content. It's more Book of Rust, you know, sort of stuff. And in a funny way, I really think it isn't. Yeah. I, I think it is great to run with those things, and that clearly has been designed to be the case. But also, I think the real hidden gem aspect of this is it's a mini rule book. It's 24 more Crusade missions that you don't have to have other narrative supplements to make work. And it doesn't include an additional complicated system like investigation points yeah. or Xenotech or anything like that to make use of the missions. You can just run more Crusade with this. Yeah. I, I can imagine in the future, maybe a, a year or two, there could be multiple books like this. I mean, neither already is effectively. There's two, right? Um, yeah. But you could, as a Crusade player, buy the one that you like the best, and then whenever you turn up for a game, you both go, I've got this book, I've got that book, let's look through, see if there's a mission we both want to play. Don't You don't need to buy yeah. every single one each. It's uh, yeah. It feels like, a, like an extra little bit of flavour that you can... Uh, just bring along and apply to basically any kind of pick-up crusade game. Yeah, I mean, I guess one good sort of solution in a way would be, say you rock up to a pick-up crusade game with your Plague Purge mission pack and your opponent does the same with their Beyond the Veil one and you know that you're going to play a Strike Force mission. Maybe you roll a d6 to randomise your mission and you roll a 3. Well, if you wanted, what you could do is you could look at what mission three is for an incursion mission, mm-hmm. so it's strike force mission, whichever, in each of the three publications, the core book, Plague Purge and Beyond the Veil, and that gives you three very different options that at a quick glance, you can say, that one sounds like it'll be a really fun yeah. game for us. Cool. Yeah. Without just having to randomise, say, between all 18 possible strike force missions and being tied to whichever one you randomly roll. Yeah. Just an idea. But yeah, after that um, ironically somewhat bloated section on Plague Purge, um, <laughs> it did run a little longer than I anticipated because honestly, I, I kind of thought the conversation wouldn't take as long to go through it because it wasn't as involved as Beyond the Veil, but Clearly, there's still a lot of great stuff in there that we talked about. So, um, so yeah, I think that's basically everything for the spotlight topic for tonight. So, 
we will be back in a minute, guys, just to sort of round out the show, really, and uh, see whether or not we get around to any community spotlights this week. So we are back, guys, and we hope you enjoyed that, well, again, a deep dive into the Plague Purge mission pack and all the many, many missions contained within and the brand new ways to sort of approach playing those missions. I mean, the new universal stratagems in particular, I think, are a real highlight of that particular mission pack. Yeah, absolutely. Um but speaking of highlights, we are at the end of the show, which means, as nearly always, we will do our community <laughs> share, our community spotlight. So it has been a couple of weeks since we've had a chance to give any other shout-outs to content creators or community channels and accounts that we really like and enjoy. So, Dan, who have you been uh, following on social media recently, or otherwise discovering in the community at large? Uh Yes, so um, I actually um, actually thought I would use this to uh, uh, plug my uh, my local game store. Sure, uh, go for it. Because uh, you know, as we are getting to the stage where lockdowns are easing and stuff, and maybe soon, maybe we'll be able to like go and play games in stores and stuff. Maybe, hopefully, maybe. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so um, uh, in Grimsby, uh, there is the uh, Grim Dice Tabletop Gaming, who are uh, relatively new to the uh, to the scene. Uh, their website is grimdice.co.uk, uh, and they do sell uh, products to be uh, posted away to the rest of the country. If you're uh, if you're interested uh, with a of buying Games Workshop or other products uh, with a bit of a discount and all that, um, but yeah, they uh, they have a an in-store gaming area as well. Uh, I remember I went to a a little tournament there before everything kicked off, um, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, they generally seem quite uh, quite nice people, uh, and it was just it was just a good experience. So if you're if you're anywhere in the area near Grimsby. Uh, I suggest you go there. Lovely. If I find myself that way, I will definitely check them out. Yeah, why would you, though? Well, I mean, obviously, it would have to be somewhere in my schedule alongside meeting up with my good friend, Dan. Oh, yeah. You could do that. And, uh, Dave, how about yourself? Uh, Yeah, yeah, just one this time... uh... During lockdown, there's been several groups on Facebook that I've been a part of. Uh, this one I've been been a part of uh, a lot longer than, than just lockdown. And that's the Fred Paintbrush Hobby Progress Group. It's a, quite a supportive place where you can post your, your hobby progress, whatever that is, um, and uh, share it with others. It's not too big a group. It's quite friendly. There's, there's no negativity in the group. And uh, it's set up and run by somebody I think you know, Tom Carter, I think you used to work with on a previous podcast, right? Yes, I know Tom well. Um, I have many a Necromunda tale <laughs> involving him. 
and I might have arranged to meet up with him tomorrow evening in the open air uh, to, to exchange some miniatures. And I think I can say that safely because my wife doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> tell, him, uh, tell him Tony says hi and uh, send, sends his Escher greetings, even if they Absolutely. may or may not involve not so clear breathing air. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm not exchanging Necromunda stuff. I'm, I may have acquired some more Death Watch from him, and uh, mm-hmm. perhaps even some. Um, um, oh, I've forgotten the word, uh, custodies. Uh, so I, I need to pick those up. Cool. But yeah, um, good to see Tom. And like you said, uh, looking forward to meeting people and, and being able to play again a little bit more. Dan, I think that's something we're all looking forward to, right? Yeah. Yeah. Our, our real community shout yeah. out is simply being able to be a community again. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the near future. Um, so yeah, but then my my last shout out is um, in the last sort of probably two three weeks, I have really started discovering and enjoying the content by Play on Tabletop over on YouTube, and yes, they are becoming a somewhat rising star in the YouTube Warhammer community because their content is very high quality production. Um, it is practically TV or studio level productions, and I will say, um, as a caveat to that, I feel it, it's it's a very like Americanized TV show. Do you know what I mean? Yes, it's yes. Uh, that it's not um, the kind of standard uh, battle report, right? No, I mean the whole premise is that they kind of do a series of um, uh, forty k in forty minutes sort of thing so the idea is that the whole thing is under an hour you can watch it on a lunch break while you're at work or whatever you know that I, I, they they talked about it in various sort of interviews and stuff and i don't want to disparage from the content at all it is very high quality um but it's it's a little different to the style of like tabletop tactics or winter's seo or whatever yeah. but that said part of this shout out was in particular the new Tomb World collaboration series that they've been involved in with Deployment Zone TV. Because the first episode of it is up on um, probably both their channels, Play on Tabletop and Deployment Zone TV. Mm-hmm. And it is honestly excellent. Like It's one of these few examples I've seen so far of taking a sort of narrative campaign and really portraying it through the medium and battle reports. Um, and I, one of these days now, I need to get my sort of subscription started to the deployment zone TV so that I can watch the rest of the episodes because the first one was brilliant and I want to watch the others. Yes, they, uh, I think they're up to episode four now. Yeah. Um, and uh, they're all very good. Uh, and it, it, it kind of um, escalates quite quickly in the madness. <laughs> I can imagine, and I am looking forward to watching it. So yeah, uh, I highly recommend going and checking them out. So that's both Play on Tabletop and Deployment Zone TV. So yeah, I think after, again, a somewhat rather... I mean, I say bumper episode, but if they all start bloating like this, then they're not exactly bumper episodes anymore, are they? Uh, <laughs> they're just episodes. Yes. But after uh, another standard episode... <laughs> yeah, I think, I, think, uh, I think we've been... Uh, well, perhaps Tony more than us have been infected by the Sump City Radio crew. <laughs> I will not be bloating into a two-part, six-hour split series episode. <laughs> they're, they're awesome. Don't let me try and give you a negative impression. If you like Necromunda, go and listen to Sump City Radio as well. Yeah, they are brilliant. Um, I, I 
I love listening to their six hours of content for one episode. <laughs> Other people might need to hit more bite-sized chunks, but in either case, it is just another way to enjoy the hobby. So, until next time, guys, this has been the Narrative Wargamer Podcast, helping you discover more ways to play a game.